We are back. JST Podcasts are back after a couple of months off. Um, it's been a busy few months. There's been a lot going on. We announced Access All Areas for when you sign up to JST Athlete, which basically means you get access to all the programs that we do. Um, so more than 30 programs. We, Steve has joined HWPL, which is super exciting for him as well. Um, and we've just been doing our thing at, at GST. Um, we're still trying to provide the best quality uh, of service for you guys. And yeah, nothing nothing has changed there. Today, we speak to Jamie Boston, a good friend of mine and colleague. He, We go into Jamie's background. We talk about Jamie's journey up and up until CrossFit and now, and how he's become such a good coach. I always tell this whenever I see people uh, and I'm talking about coaching, Jamie is the best CrossFit coach in 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 class settings that I've ever met. Um, Just how he breaks down movements, gets his points across, um, and also, is able to just connect with people uh, so easily and so well. So I'm really excited to be able to share this conversation that uh, myself and him had uh, uh, the other week um, after we did a seminar at Industry 13. Um, It was all fresh in our minds, so it was a a perfect time to, to get it all out. So I really hope you enjoy this podcast today. Um, if you could subscribe, follow, like, wherever you know, wherever you listen to this, that would be super helpful. Um, and if you've any questions, feel free to drop me a message, drop Jamie a message, drop us a message on our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, you know, wherever you prefer to get into contact with us. So yeah, let's go. Bill Roy's little trick where he does a little clap. Yeah. So it lines, so you can line it up on the video with the audio. If that makes sense. We're live. Wow. <laughs> That's like take one. <laughs> take one of probably many. <laughs> We're recording though, so that's good. Um, so today I'm with Jamie Boston. He does many things. He's head coach at TO currently. Yeah. Um, You program for JST Train class, our class program. You have a couple of individual clients who JST compete as well. Yeah, that's correct. You organize a few events like Summer Social. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Holly and I do that. Have you missed any? Have I missed anything? Um, in terms of work related, no, no, um, bit going on in life, which is always good. <laughs> Keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Um, so I want people to get to know you a little bit more. Um, you've been a part of the team for a couple of years now, um, but we've not had the opportunity to sit down and actually, you know, have a conversation and uh, talk a little bit about how you've got to to where you are now. Um, so let's let's go way back first. Way, way back. back. Um, 
So I know your, your previous sport was rugby league, but do you want to give people a bit of a background, kind of where you're from, like where you were brought up, all that sort of stuff first? Yeah, well, I think um, when you say rugby league, you assume that um, I'm a northerner, but I'm definitely <laughs> and well and truly not. Um, and our little running north-south battles will continue for, mm -hmm. for many a year. Um, yeah, so kind of always played sport, always done that. And um, being an only child, um, it was kind of the, the thing that my, my parents got me into was like, go and play sport, go and learn how to uh, like move around with other people and, and, and have fun with that. Kind of always played football, never yeah. played rugby. Now I live in West London, which is quite a rugby union like heartland. Uh -huh. um, but the school I went to was football in primary school. When I got to secondary school, um, there was a few teachers which were like really shaped how I am today um, in the sports department. And they were like, you're in year seven, you're a big kid, here's a rugby ball, start playing it. Um, it was rugby union from the start. There was no, there was no rugby league or anything like that. Um, and then as you progress through the years, you do the, the rugby union at the school, you do the, the county level. And I never really played rugby union for a club for, very lo like, for a long time. And then I started doing that. And uh, one of the things, if like you know, there's lots of politics in, in sport, especially in kids' sport with parents and stuff. And um, I wouldn't say I was in the wrong school or my parents were the wrong parents, but they just weren't the right ones. Um, <laughs> so sometimes getting in the team was never the, it was never based on talent or anything like that. Mm. Um, it was the the coach's son was played in the same position as me, so it was always a that's tough. It's yeah, a tough that. Um, yeah, you said you said about like your your teachers kind of you know helping to shape, um, you know who you who you've become today. What what is it that they did or said um, that kind of yeah really yeah. set you on your? I path? think um, well, I mean there was there was probably two two to three teachers that were kind of the the sports teachers that really pushed me and and made me try and do things I couldn't do. Um, and one one guy called Jason Wing or Mr. Wing, he was uh, an ex rugby league player. Yeah. Um, absolute unit. Um, <laughs> played played on the wing for they were called London Crusaders at the time, and like he 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 got me into fitness basically. They built a school gym, and he said, look, if you're going to do any kind of training, um, just do power cleans, do bench press, um, wow. and do weighted pull ups. Wow. And I was like, if I think to now, if I could only do a few movements and not all of the crossfit movements i would say you're going to be in pretty good shape if you can power clean a lot of weight yeah bench press you're going to look pretty good and your shoulders aren't going to fall off <laughs> if you can do a lot of pull-ups so um they were on the right track but they were just they were they related to me the most like mm -hmm. the other teachers were good and i it's not like i disliked school um i didn't really enjoy going to school that much i preferred the social element playing in all the sports teams yeah but yeah they, those guys really related to me and when I was getting older and older and older, that I think they possibly drew similarities or they saw bits of themselves in me. So they kind of pushed me along and yeah, and got me doing more sport, which was probably the best thing for them because I wasn't a pain <laughs> in the ass. <laughs> um, that's yeah, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Where I think more people than we know actually, you know, maybe struggled in school in the sense that really enjoy it. it didn't really resonate with a lot of the stuff that was they were being you know taught and it's it's one of them where rather than having a super set structure it probably would be actually be nice to have a bit more flexibility and be like 
actually I, I really enjoy sport more can I do that a little bit more as a as a subject rather than mm. you know but I guess you've got to have a base level of, of knowledge and, and all that so um coming to uh the kind of rugby union and the team and everything how how did that affect you at, at the time and what mm. lessons from that did you kind of take forward or yeah how, how did that yeah. kind of affect you really i remember obviously the with the the politics in the rugby union it was more in the in the later years of school um and i remember like one particular moment was so when I did start playing for a club, I just went with where my friends went and they were playing for London Irish. Okay. So went there and we were doing all the training, like kind of being a team when the, the games were all right. And then when there was a big game, so Richmond were our like local rivals mm-hmm. and they, we had a game and I'd been in the team like the whole year and me and a few of the other school friends, we all went to the same school and like we were all in the team. And then all of a sudden we're playing against the best team in the league and then we were all sat on the bench. And uh, it was down at Richmond, so big like community club. So there was yeah. lots of other games going on and they share a place with London Scottish. And I just sat on the bench the whole time. Our teachers come down to watch and I just sat there. My parents were, were there and they were like, what's going on here? And I was like, there, there was no chance of me going on. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, they didn't put me on at all. Um, and at that point I'd started doing the rugby league thing and I'd started to like meet more people within lots of different sport, uh, different clubs. And then when our game finished, it was like an earlier kickoff. There was a lunchtime game for London Scottish, okay. but we were playing like under 16s or 15s or something like that. There was an under 18s game and my friend was playing in it and he was like, do you want a game? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> He's like, I know you didn't play. Do you want a game? You can come and play for the Colts or whatever it was. Yeah. And the Scottish, I was like, yeah. Just went, I was like, just double check my mum and dad are going to like take me home in a minute, can I play? Um, and then, yeah, there's a guy called Rory and he was like, yeah, come play. And uh, he was an exceptionally good rugby player. Still still see him every now and again as well. He does like the functional fitness world. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, played, played quite well, got man of the match. Um, <laughs> played in the London Irish socks because that was the kit I had on. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, in the bar after. Um I remember obviously the the coaches for the the team that didn't pick me were still in there watching mm. me play th- three or four years above my yeah. age group, yeah. getting man of the match, and they were like, I remember the opposition said, "Oh, why didn't you play that kid?" to their coach, and he just didn't have an answer. And at that point, I stopped playing rugby union. Right, okay, done. Uh, rugby league was already kind of on the sniff, yeah, um, through school. Mm-hmm. So they come in and they were trying to boost participation down south because obviously yeah. up here there's no issues everyone plays rugby league right um whereas down south there was um the the school's cup yeah which then goes in and then you end up if you do well in london and our school got through and then we went to wales and we went to merthyr and it was the first time i'd ever been to wales and yeah that noise that's the first time i'd experienced like the valleys and like <laughs> you're going in big and like these kids were massive yeah. i was like holy crap this is gonna be tough and we, I th- we got absolutely whooped and one of our players dislocated his shoulder. So Cracky. then we were like in a hospital. We were there forever. It was raining. Like you couldn't have made up how difficult it was. But I remember it like, oh, like if you're going to do this, yeah. you've got to be able to do it. Yeah. Like the old like, can you do it on a rainy day in Stoke football quote. <laughs> you're like, if you can play rugby against some, some Welsh lads in Merthyr and it's really intimidating, you can probably play rugby anywhere. I remember, so I briefly played rugby league as well, not not to the, the level that, that you did, but 
the impression I got when I played the teams up north was that, like, this was the the biggest thing of their week. It, and they were going into that game wanting to literally just smash you to bits every time. I don't know yeah. if it was like that in Europe, uh, in Union or like the same intensity from like the people, but mm. I was like, whoa, because I was just used to an individual sport um, being like quite chill. You just kind of, you know, keep on top of your emotions and then I go, on, go into rugby league and everyone's mm. super fired up, like really kind of like emotional and yeah. Yeah, it, I think you're, the, the rugby league was much more physical at, at an earlier age or from the start. Um, and like the emotion was much more there. And I think that's probably what lured me into it. Mm -hmm. Like it was something that was quite real. Like rugby union was, it was obviously still a very physical sport and, and you did all the things near enough in that you do in rugby league. But just, I think the confrontations, I don't know if it was obviously in London, rugby league was very small, like yeah. I said, and every sport, every game you played was against Northern, Northern teams yeah. or Welsh teams. Yeah. So there was that extra bit. And it wasn't because it was just the it wasn't because the kids we didn't like each other. Mm. It was the parents, right? Okay. It was one hundred percent like you'd go to a, an under sixteens or an under eighteens game, and yeah. the parents would come, and you could feel the parents was like, <laughs> "You're Northerners, we're Southerners," and it was like that thing from the start. And like not in a it wasn't it wasn't really horrible, but it was like we would make the jokes about it, mm. but then it was like, well, it comes down to it. I was like, I don't want to let you guys win. Yeah. Um, and we were a, a Southern, a Southern team. And we went through quite a lot. Like the, when I got into the London Broncos team, we were playing in the under 18s. Our, our squad was all London guys. And mm -hmm. I'd probably say roughly 50% of our team was black as well. Right. Okay. So when we would travel up North, yeah. it would be, it would be quite an eye opening experience. And it was the first time, not just at the north, but like we go to Wales and stuff like that. I think you go to Featherstone. If you go to like the real deep yes. parts of the country, yeah. it was probably back then, which feels like a long time ago. I was eighteen, so what, sixteen years ago? Yeah. Like a lot of black people around was not a thing. Yeah. And I think a lot of people struggled to come to terms with like what was going on, and there was a lot of racism in the in the game. And I remember one particular game we were playing Featherstone away. And someone made a, like a really horrible comment. I, I didn't hear it, but we were walking off at half time. Yeah. I remember just one of the lads snapped. He jumped over the thing. And as a team, you kind of learn to, you're in it together. Yes. Even at 18, yeah. you, you, you live in and breathe in it. And you got, we all like kind of flew in, flew mm -hmm. over. The other players were like, we were going mad at each other. And then, yeah, that was like the first time that I was like, shit, like that's an actual, that's an actual thing. Like, mm -hmm taking the piss out of each other north and south was was fine like yeah but when you heard your mate like getting like that you're like shit puts things in perspective so not necessarily like doesn't happen now and it was such a rare occurrence but it was one of those things that was like shit really I, yeah yeah really, really opening. That. Yeah. especially at a, a young age you're like you grow up pretty quick when you you hear that stuff going on yeah 100 percent um wow uh mm. it's it's what well it's one of them especially with like we said, we rugby league that that passion and intensity, and I felt that. I know you said that you grow up quite quick quickly, but some players just don't have the emotional intelligence to actually control their emotions. Mm -hmm. um, when you were 
like at that age were you did you feel like the experiences from you know rugby union kind of maybe made you a bit more not like intelligent mm. but a bit more you know a bit more privy to it all do you know what I mean yeah I, I definitely feel like um, and it's one thing that I would say I'm still quite good at now is, is being aware of, of situations and, yeah. and understanding like the vibe of somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'd probably say I wasn't able to control it when I was younger. Okay. I would say I'd get really annoyed if I couldn't do something or if I wasn't the highest achiever or anything like that. And I wouldn't say like I was very extremely talented. I, I when I was growing up, considering I'm in fitness now, fitness is my life, mm-hmm. I absolutely hated doing fitness. Right, okay. And I wasn't very fit when I played sport. Right. I would say I was very good at the sport. Yes. Um, which probably was to my detriment. If I was worse at the skills, mm. I'd probably have worked a little bit harder at the other things. Right, okay. Because I could always be at the level of the other fit people because I knew how to get around the field. I yeah. knew what was happening next. I was in control of it. But yeah, I'd probably say if I was slightly less skillful... Not to say I was really skillful, but I was skillful enough to like know how to get around the park. Yeah. Probably if I had to run a bit harder <laughs> or like actually lift some weights, I'd probably be a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> or was it would have been a lot better. It was uh, it was funny. I was listening to uh, Gary Neville on a podcast the other the other week, and uh, he was on about him being in the team for United, and he said him and his brother just got in there off pure pure hard work, mm. um, and. He was obviously still in the team when he was, you know, 35, 36. And he said the only reason why he was still in that team at that point was, one, because uh, of the effects they had in the dressing room, obviously. But also, like you said, the awareness on the pitch, like mm. being able to read read the game. Um, and I think I think that's it's definitely a, an underrated skill. And especially, like, be in coaching as well, where being able to read a room, being able to, you know, tell what the vibe is when you're kind of talking to someone, it's, yeah. it's a very much a, an underrated skill. Um, so like, what other experiences when you were younger do you think helped develop, develop that? Um, I think being always around and being always in team sports mm-hmm. um, made, made me much better in social situations because yeah. you are more regularly exposed to them mm-hmm. um, I would say I'm considering what I do for work I'm, I'm very much a, an extrovert at work mm. but then when I'm away from work I really enjoy my, like, my own time and my own like noise so yeah. as in I don't really do much I just mm-hmm. chill out and then when I work I work so I kind of learned that when I was at school I was probably the the guy that when I was ab- when I was on I was on but when I was quiet everyone would be like oh is he all right kind yeah, of thing and I was yeah. I was fine and I am fine but it's uh, yeah I think it's quite a hard one to answer I don't know why maybe I got lucky like my parents are are quite clued up like they they are socially aware and like they they know they've got their head screwed on kind of thing mm-hmm. which I think always helps if you if you what, spend 18 20 years of your life to see what, what do they do. So my dad is, or still is, a like print finisher. Works in like right. manual labour of picking up paper, getting it cut, and, yeah. and that kind of stuff, or bookbinder. Uh-huh. And my mum, when I was younger, she didn't work. And then when I went to school, she started to work, um, kind of in account, not account. She's not an accountant, but she worked in like finance, mm-hmm. payroll. Worked for Aer Lingus for a long time, um, okay. in in the UK, and then yeah, yeah she still works doing that stuff now. So 
kind of they were always present like mm-hmm. the the typical growing up of like your dad would go to work come back mum would be in charge at home and then the like I think I said this to you before the dynamic change which I think for my dad was very difficult because yeah. he was the breadwinner and yeah. then his trade is shrinking uh-huh. as everything becomes more tech based and um, obviously finance is always there to stay yeah. um, so it kind of went to the point where my dad was then earning less my mum was the breadwinner and then that whole switch was probably quite hard for them. Right. Um, I think it was quite good for me. Like I have a, a seven-year-old daughter and I always understand the roles and responsibilities are very much equal now and balanced yeah. as yeah. opposed to back in the day. It was like you, the old man goes to work, the mum stays at home and mm-hmm. that's the kind of way it goes. I think nowadays it's whoever whoever gets to the top gets to the top kind of thing yes. and then the other person the other person like has to, to carry behind. Yeah, so. yeah. That's that's really interesting as well. I think uh, on just coming back to your like when you said in social social situations, it's kind of like you're quite extroverted, um, and I'd say I'm a little bit similar similar in that sense. Where I try to be as present as possible, and you're really good at that. Like when you're speaking to people and um, you know you're coaching them or doing anything, you can see like you're really on it. You're super present. You're super aware, but. I'm the same in the sense that if when I'm away from everyone and when I'm like that situation's finished, like I just need that time to myself to kind yeah. of, because it's, you're just so on all the time, especially yeah. like yesterday, for example, we did a, a seminar at Industry 13 from half 10 till, till half five. And like after that, for probably like half an hour in the car afterwards, oh. me and you were just sat in yeah. silence. Mm. We're like, we just needed that time just mm. to, you know, just to chill. Um, I, I used to struggle to be able to switch off. Mm-hmm. I think um, I heard uh, James, James Smith did a post podcast or, or I heard it somewhere. And um, he was about like rationing your energy. Mm-hmm. And and that, that was a really good thing for me. It was like, use, use your energy when you need it and, when, yeah. and when, you, when you have to use it. And then like save your energy in certain like experiences, mm-hmm. like learn to say no to certain things and then learn to okay, how much energy do I need to give at certain times? I think as CrossFit coaches and like technically presenters, when you're you're in the gym, you're like, okay, I'm coaching at six, I'm coaching at seven. Can't be shit because you're thinking about your 8 a.m. Yeah. like training session. Or you can't, I'm not thinking about yeah. that anyway. But I'm thinking of like, how good could I be at six and seven? I had the opposite problem. I'd give so much energy at six and seven and then try and carry that energy into training or into just a conversation straight after. I'd just absolutely drain myself yeah. and I think that affected home life like kind of I'd get back I'd be exhausted like wouldn't be able to give as much energy into my relationships and, and things like that so you kind of learn to like manage it and balance it mm-hmm. and now I'm like okay I can coach I can be on I can help and then I can like right I'm training and my brain is just able to go into a different mode and I think routine and consistency really helps that um obviously on on the athlete plan the movement mechanics hip stuff it's my 10-15 minutes of transition Mm -hmm. it's transitioning me from what i've been doing work-wise or if i've just traveled in yeah into okay i'm gonna work out now or i've been doing this squat program like death by a thousand squats kind of thing (laughs) it's like just getting myself into the right frame of mind to then go um and that's like trying to build that into my routine. I think mm-hmm. if I would go straight from one thing straight into like doing some lunging and squatting, I'd be like, no, I, I can't do that now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that takes time. And I think that takes um, just trying to, to back off a second before mm-hmm. you then go forward. 
on that's a similar note there as well. When I heard this from, um, she's called Charlotte off Geordie Shore. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so again, she did a podcast and she said she was working with like a, a therapist or a life coach or something like that. But she gave a, a really good analogy that he gave her in that some days when she's doing like loads of media and it's you just know it's going to be a really intense long day. It's like, right, that's my kind of high day. Mm. And usually immediately after that, she makes sure that the next day she's not really got much on or there's a much less. And then there's obviously days where it's kind of in the middle. Mm. So very similar to training in the sense that there's going to be a day where it's super intense, but then the day after you put, it's probably one of them where it shouldn't be as intense. Or if you do have two days in a row, it's like, right, the next couple of days have definitely got to be got to be more chilled so i i that kind of really stuck with me because i was mm. like it, it makes a lot of sense um yeah that's really that's really good i think you i think people listening to this will get the i'm good for like monday tuesday wednesday and then i try and go thursday or like <laughs> i'm hanging on and then it's like okay well can i be productive at the back end of the week and you're like well, you're not yeah it's, it's it's learning to it's learning to undulate that that effort and that intensity 100%. and i think we had i've had a few days of it where was into work leak in the house mm -hmm. kind of like traced back all of my steps i was like this is going to be i'm going to be full on here until like i get to wigan on like friday afternoon then it yeah. was like relax a bit good sleep reset me and then i was like i know i can then sustain it yeah. whereas if it was like a shorter sleep then straight in another couple of days i think it'd be like i'd be sick by monday mm -hmm. um so yeah it's uh it's definitely worth trying to map out your week and I think that's where being prepared yes. is uh, is hugely important. Yeah, it is. I think just being aware of that little fact as well is because obviously some some days stuff will crop up like it did with your house mm. and you can't you can't really control that mm. but it's kind of the next day kind of make sure it's a little bit more mm. low key. Um the other thing that you you mentioned about kind of the the balance and like balancing work and, and family and I'm still really trying to find my way there especially um with being self-employed and my, how i've always been like so my families are farmers so the work from my dad's a milkman as well so they've worked from like 4 30 in the morning all the way through pretty much till like five six o'clock in the evening mm. so that's kind of been ingrained in me it's like you just graft you work for long hours you just keep going and same when especially like when you can work at home like my laptop's there, it's like, oh, I could just do this extra bit. I could just do this extra bit. Jack T's ready. It's like, yeah, but down in a minute, Jack T's ready. Do you know what I mean? And it, it, I just find it so hard not to, you know, just keep working. But it's, mm. it's like Hannah needs that time as much as, you know, yeah. what work does as well. Because she's, you know, to be a champion on the field, you've got to be a champion at home first. Mm. They're the people that are going to support you, help you, get you through your good times, your bad times. Mm. So, yeah, I'm still... Mm. trying to find that balance yeah i think you said something about control there which i think's um a really important like you can only control what you can control like the old control the controllables yeah. conversation um i think one thing that i try to think about is i can't control sometimes the situation but i can control how i react to the situation mm -hmm. and like let's use that leak on a on a thursday like I had a moment, I was just about to leave the house to go to work and then water started coming through my ceiling onto yeah. the floor and I knew I was going to be away from basically three, four <laughs> days. I was like, I can't just leave the house with water mm -hmm. running in it. I need to deal with the situation. And I had a very, I'd probably had maybe five to 10 minutes of 
like, what am I going to do here? Yeah. Or like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Just walk pissing on the TV. Like, I need to go upstairs. All of those kind of things. And then I was like, all right. Walked around a bit. Just stood in, stood in my front room for like a couple of minutes. Just didn't say anything to myself. And I was like, right. Okay. Can't deal with that. I can only deal with this. Yeah. Spoke to a few people. Managed to organise some stuff. And then I left the house. And then by the time I got to the train station, I was like, right that's done now mm -hmm. like whereas I think previously like years gone by that would that would be eking me away yeah. and then that would have a knock-on effect I'd go and coach I was coaching at 12 I would have been a really bad coach at 12 because yeah. I've been thinking about it I'd have been stressed out I had a programming chat straight after it with Holly and all of those things would have just not been as good as what they should have been yeah. um so yeah like you can control how you react to situations and it's not easy but it's just slowing it down, mm -hmm. being okay. I just genuinely, if I could have gone up and told the guy not to run that tap mm -hmm. before he ran it, I would have done, <laughs> but I couldn't. Yeah. So it's like, I can't control that. It's happened yes. now. Yeah. It's like, okay, let's fix these problems and, and move it forward. Okay, that's that emotional intelligence yeah. shining yeah. through from years on a rugby pitch and, and everything else. Uh, life's thrown at you. Um, there was something else you said before as well with that that decompressing and mm. like you did in that situation similar there but um and we say this quite a bit before you go into your training you know make sure you've got five ten minutes either where you kind of just having a bit of time to yourself to decompress from work or whatever it was you were doing before training to reset and be like right I'm doing this next task now and again that's where you're really good at being like I'm in this moment now I'm you know getting to work on on what I'm doing yeah, um, yeah you, you've got to be all in in, in your situations not necessarily like a, a, a million miles an hour all in but if I'm having a conversation with you I'm having a conversation with you yeah. if I'm talking to a group I'm, I'm talking to a group what I, I I've noticed and I've had encounters and I've probably done it myself but I'm now acutely aware of it if I'm having a conversation with someone and they're not in the conversation they're mm -hmm. thinking about something else or their yeah. their mind somewhere else it's like what are we actually getting from that that yes. interaction? And yeah. that, that can be really tough because it's been my boss previously and I've been having a conversation with them and I'm telling them one thing, but they're thinking about something else. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, like I've got to persist because it is, you are my boss. But at the end of the day, it's like, I've got to move on and, and, and get it going kind of thing. Yeah. You can, sometimes you can see when you're having a conversation with people and they're kind of, they're checked out a little bit. Yeah. And there's times where I'm speaking to them and I'm like, I know you're not really listening to this and I'm losing motivation in telling you what yeah. I'm saying and you're yeah. like, oh, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's uh, fast forward a little bit to like the post-rugby days now. Mm. Um, so you worked at Nuffield Health. Yep. And at what period were you, were you like, right, this is, this is the thing for me. Did mm. you find that out during your rugby? And then let's talk about kind of the next phase. Of yeah, I, I think there was, um, so with the rugby, it was kind of everything for about seven years. Mm -hmm. um, like all in, doing everything around it. Like the, you got paid to do it. It was, you'd have like little sideline things, but they weren't the priority. The goal was like to try and get on the field in the first team at the end of the week. Yeah. And, and that was tough. But like the Super League team, the London Broncos team that I was in was like 
They were good. Yeah. Like, made up of, of all Aussies, Kiwis. <laughs> I mean, like Tommy Lulawai was in the team. Right. Um, he played a similar position to me. <laughs> like he was a young lad. I mean, I'm, and he's out now up at Wigan and you just, I can't fathom the fact that he's now retiring. Like, I'm like, I still feel good. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I'd have played Super League for like 15 years, I probably wouldn't be feeling <laughs> yeah, good. Be um, yeah. So you kind of, you get to that point where I was like, this isn't, this isn't panning out like to be like a career player. Like there was a couple of guys. So Lou McCarthy, Scarsbrook, um, he went and signed for, he was in the Broncos first team, but then went and signed for Saints and obviously won, got all the, got all the rings, like win it every year kind of thing. Still going. Tony Club went up, um, up to Wigan as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of boys like Mike and, and Addy, they, they kind of went over to Hull and, and kind of dotted around the club. So, I didn't get those moves or, or go to the, like go for those moves. Um, so I kind of knew that it was, what am I going to do now? Yeah. And London Scholars were was an opportunity. So that was like, not Super League, it was Championship, maybe League One. and But it was part-time, it was in North London. Okay. And it kind of sit really well with, I, was, I got a PT qualification done because mm-hmm. I was in the gym doing the rehab on my knees and, and all that kind of stuff. And then the gym thing kind of, was quite fun like it was the social element that I was continuing to like yeah and then just fortunately like the CrossFit thing was so fortunate right place right time a guy called Tim was one of the PTs as well um, and one of the other guys just like threw him a magazine and in it was like the, it was a men's health and it was like try this stupid CrossFit workout kind of thing <laughs> I want to say it was a filthy 50 oh, like okay. 50 reps of each thing yeah. it was very much in and around the time where that the 300 workout was mm-hmm. like bougie it's like oh you can look like Gerald Butler without <laughs> taking gear but just do this workout and I was like why not um, so I think he had a go I had a go and he had a triathlon of like Ironman background and I had like the, the more explosive sport and yeah. we got a very similar time and I was like yeah, yeah. this shouldn't happen yeah. I should beat him because I'm stronger and he's like I should beat you because you're f- I'm fucking fitter yeah. um, so then it was just kind of like started to do a little bit more and we were in a regular gym just like doing CrossFit.com mm-hmm. um, and then this like gonna call him skinny i'm gonna call him skinny this this skinny guy with a massive neck <laughs> called ben called ben like just started like doing his normal gym stuff um like at really not peculiar times but just at, at strange times of the day and i was like who are you and he's like oh i'm a cameraman like i do camera work i'm just trying to get stronger and stuff and he was just doing bench and yeah. wasn't doing calf raises like, <laughs> mentioned it once he wasn't in comfort. I think he might have actually done some of that stuff but um, yeah he wasn't genetically predisposed to those but yeah he got he got obscenely strong very quick mm. I was like quite he was strong yeah. like he, he wasn't big but he had a good tall frame on him and I was like quite he got really strong like he was pressing the same dumbbells as me and like, I was like wow like I'm bigger than you but you're stronger yeah um, and then he just started to get stuck into that crossfit with Tim and it was like, it just grew from there. And then there was like a little group of us who were just like doing the odd workout. A couple of other members would see us. And then Tim and I just started using it with our clients, right, our PT okay. clients. And that's where it was like, you, the PT work just went through the roof. Right. You, because people were like, that looks fun. Yeah. Like, I want to learn how to do that. Or teaching people how to Olympic lift, um, teaching people to get upside down. I remember like one of my first clients, a guy called Michael Broughton, um, he, was, he was well and truly in this CrossFit thing. And um, he, I remember like, he, he, I made all the mistakes with him. 
Right, okay. Like, from a coaching perspective, I made all the mistakes. <laughs> and he made all of them as well. Like, I'll, when I tell him I've told him this, that he'll agree. He was doing a banded pull-up, the band slipped between his legs, smacked him in the nuts. <laughs> like, on snatching, he'd whack himself on the head with a bar. Uh, he's fallen on his head on a handstand um, multiple times. I remember, like, we had, like, a little space next to the squat rack. It was tiny. It was, like, mm. not safe. But we were like, go on, get up there. Got him up there and he just crumbled in the heat and you're like, oh my oh God. God. So doing all those things, yeah. tripping over a box, like yeah. you name it, he's done it. Yeah. But like kind of learning and then from those experiences is like learning to, okay, well, I don't, I don't think they enjoyed that. Mm. I didn't enjoy the feeling of hurting someone. So it was like, <laughs> I need to fix how I kind of yes. get, get to that point. Yeah. So kind of you learn from those experiences. Mm -hmm. That was, that was CrossFit that was born. Like we were, I mean, the stepping forward on the burpees thing was something that, we didn't do burpees, but if we stepped forward or stepped backwards, step backwards, you'd drop a snatch on a cross trainer. Yeah. If you stepped forward, you'd drop it onto someone on a bench. Right. So you learned to just do it in, yeah. the, in a space. We yes. had a carpet square <laughs> space. Um, and we learned very quickly like when to and when not to like lift if someone was walking in front of you and, and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. So like that awareness, if you're down in a snatch, and I think a lot of people will know this, if someone breathes funny and you're so like highly strung, mm. you can feel it. Yeah, you can yeah, feel yeah. someone walk yeah. in the room and wait and you're if there. And I think it, take, it took me a long time to like realize now, like I do a lot more classes, I get mm -hmm. stuck into classes mm -hmm. and sometimes members are just not aware of like, you're going for a heavy lift, you just get used to it. And I think you guys would probably be more inclined to know like if a cameraman's going in front of you yeah, and just right there, you're like, you can't not make the lift now. Mm -hmm. you, you just got to ignore it. Yeah. Um, but when you first start and if you're just in a normal gym, you're like the situation needs to be perfect. Otherwise you can't <laughs> get it right. <laughs> um, what, what sort of time was, was this? Like what, what mm. kind of, where were we? So I was like in the context of me, I'd probably say I was 21, 22. Okay. Um, so what? I've been doing rugby like from a really early age full time yeah. and then I, the CrossFit thing so I did my level one in 2012 in, mm -hmm. in Wales the reason I remember it is because it was the weekend of that Super Saturday at the Olympics okay. so I was in wow. I was in Swansea and they'd put a big screen up and I was like last time I'd been to Wales before that was that Merthyr, Merthyr <laughs> trip so I was like they don't really like the English um <laughs> But everyone was like, he was Mo was British, right? And I went, most Mo Farrell went to my school, right? Um, like for a fleeting minute, like yeah. in and around Hounslow and Isworth, right? Okay. And uh, so obviously just watching him mm -hmm. fucking demolish the field and win gold. Second, I think it was the second gold that Super Saturday or, or the first one. But yeah, it was a good atmosphere. And so yeah, I've been done my level one, and that was did the level one, and I was like, this is unreal. Right. This is fucking sick. Yeah. I'd done a PT qualification, so you learnt the anatomy, which I thought was good. And it helped, but it didn't teach you how to present. Mm -hmm. It didn't teach you how to captivate an audience. And on my level one, I think Adrian, well, Bosman was there, Adrian right. Bosman. But I think he was watching Carl Stedman and Matt Evans like go through their like Flowmaster kind of yes. style stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I don't know if that's correct, but I'm pretty sure like from my own experience of doing some of that stuff, that's the kind of flow that happened. So obviously, seeing Bosman was like you're a celebrity in my eyes. Like <laughs> Castro, Glassman and Bosman were like the three people in America that weren't actually athletes that I was like, like big, if I meet you, dogs. like, yeah, yeah. Got the, world's, the world's good here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, he just had a great manner about him and, and I'm very much not very good reader, but I'm very good 
listener and, and rememberer of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still remember that level one. Like, I still remember the, the workout. We did Fran. I don't think you do Fran anymore. No. Um, but we did Fran. And I shit at pull-ups. Still shit at pull-ups. <laughs> but I was quite good at thrusters. Right. So I was able to put myself in, a, in an absolute hole. Um, and yeah, it was uh, never looked back. Just took all of the information. I was like, loved it. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, been doing the CrossFit stuff kind of ever since. Yeah, 10 years. Were you, uh, were you kind of dabbling on, in your PTs in CrossFit before you did that? that yeah, level yeah, before yeah. level one. So yeah. probably from 20 years old. So for a couple of years, was kind of looking at .com, like mm-hmm. read. I think it was really interesting. I saw Adrian Conway post um, about checking .com and yeah. journal articles. I'd read everyone. Yeah. Like looked at every single one. Mm-hmm. And some of them were, I'd be like, oh, they're not going to help me. But I'd just look at it anyway. Yeah. Like, there'd be like one on like gymnastics like, oh how to build parallels but mm-hmm. I just looked at it just because it was like the there wasn't as many websites there, there wasn't there, there wasn't, wasn't any, any. Yeah. it's just .com yeah. right no the only online programming that you would see was not Westside Barbell what's the guy with the skull and crossbone um, Outlaw Way Outlaw yeah like Outlaw Way was like one of the early early adopters yeah, to like doing that stuff yeah. so looked at that and then I think in terms of learning the movements, I remember Ben, Tim and I, we were in the gym and we'd, we'd watch Ben do it. Mm. And then our reference point was Jason Kalipa, right. Rich Fronin and Chris Spieler. Yeah. And we're like, Ben, it, it doesn't look like Chris Spieler. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd go, what does it need to look like to look like Chris Spieler? And That's then good. Ben would work it out. Yeah. Like he, obviously you've met Ben and a lot of people will have, have come across Ben who's Mr. Rad now. Um, he just learned how to do it and I was like I've now watched him learn how to do it so then I learned how to teach it which was mad like that's how we learned how to coach yeah like Tim had a very very methodical and, and thought driven process on t- and to building things so that mm-hmm. was good I was more of like the raw emotion I was like just go and try it yeah go and try it and Tim was like why don't you try this one first and then this one and then it that started to grow and then like between the three of us um, it kind of got to the point where it was like, we've got this quite clever way mm. of like delivering exercise and yeah. it, it sat along the level one. Yeah. It was like, yeah, good to go. I, I do, th- I still think that's a, a really, something that a lot of athletes struggle to do or don't do is look, look at someone that does it very well mm. and try to copy them. Yeah. That's how I learned to do yeah. weightlifting gymnastics like I looked at I watched weightlifting videos and I was like my clean doesn't look quite like yeah. that so um not doing something quite quite right but I think for for me I picked that up off my my grandpa when I was sailing because he was always like you should be constantly making just little tweaks and and stuff mm-hmm. to your technique and always look to refine it and make it a little bit better a little bit more efficient um but I think athletes can be watching the videos backwards and taking note, right, how does it look? Should it look like that or should it look like what, I don't know, Yeah, Matt Fraser's doing or do I you think, know what I mean? Yeah, I think that is, is so, so important. I, I think even within the context of the sport now, it's moved to the point where doing a movement a certain way creates a certain cadence. Yes. And then within that cadence that allows you to then potentially breathe, move, recover, whatever it needs to be. Mm-hmm. I think a great example is if you want to mirror someone on a movement is you watch Matt Fraser on the shoulder to overhead when they only have five people at the games, yeah. where it's the long row, bar muscle up, shoulder to overhead. There's no music, 
and it taught me how to breathe right. on a shoulder to overhead. And you watch the other athletes who are right at the pinnacle. I couldn't get anywhere near what they do, mm-hmm. but you, they make they look like amateurs yeah. compared to how I know he met like someone will say, "Oh, he missed that last one." Mm-hmm. Fucking hell, he's miles ahead. Yeah, like yeah, it yeah, was yeah. one of those ones where you watch the the tension, the breathing, the execution on that shoulder to overhead, and you're like, "That is how you do shoulder to overhead mm-hmm. with I'd say moderate to heavy weight." Yes, and you're yeah. like, "Right, watch the other guys." I mean. You pull out Noah Olsen, you're like, just see the inefficiencies. I know he had shoulder problems, but it's like, he's leant back, he's losing tension. You're like, Matt Fraser was like, mm-hmm. you could hear it. And you're like, all right, if you're gonna model yourself off something, that's what you got to do. And then you just look at those people across all the, I mean, for males, you've got to look at males because of the body dimensions and stuff. And for yeah. the female, like we take the kip swing, mm-hmm. it is slightly different, male to female. Mm-hmm. And the one outlier is the best athlete in the world is Tia. Yeah. You watch her do ring muscle ups. She ring muscle ups like a dude. Yeah, she does. Um, she's got the upper body muscle yeah. density to be able to do it. Yeah. Whereas the other ladies rely on a much more lengthened kip swing to create yeah. tension through their abs. Whereas Tia's just got shorter, sharper abs. Yeah. And then it's like, bosh. And there's there's so many like CrossFit athletes. They're they're, they're pretty the ones that are like maybe semi pro or pro. Um, I know they're they're pretty intense and they're on top of everything. But if we, for example, so we're based in William Warriors facility and they watch videos of ma- previous matches um, on a pretty much a daily basis, yeah. and for. Some people, like we said, they watch and they learn and that's the best way for them to pick stuff up. Mm. Um, and if you know or you have an idea that you learn well that way, watch videos of athletes and do your, do your kind of homework and your research there as to what, what are the best people doing in that area. I'm going to try and find out and watch videos of that person mm. doing that. Video, video review is very humbling. Mm. Um, Obviously, my first exposure to it was like you'd watch your your review of a game, mm-hmm. and there would be certain elements there'd be positive, negatives, or then we'd get review of like the next team. You'd be like, okay, there's their go-to. They always play left edge to then a big shot right, and you're like, okay, I'm prepared for it. it doesn't fix it, but yeah. it just means that you're ready for it. Yeah. And then yeah, with that video review, I think nowadays everyone is filming themselves and they're just putting on Instagram. It's like, well, actually, like look at look yeah. at what you're doing. And then work out like why you're doing those things. Yeah. Um, I remember from a coaching perspective, I had James Hobart um, posted a long time ago. It's like, if you want to really know how you coach, film a class <laughs> unedited and watch it back. Mm-hmm. And then I think at the bottom, he's like, you will hate the first 10 minutes. <laughs> and I did. And I filmed it. And it was horrific because you can then identify you can already see it. Like if you are slightly aware and I was like filming it and then in the middle of it, I was like, oh, when I watch this back, there's too long there. There's not enough here. Like that person over there is not doing it right. But once you do it once, you then become comfortable with that difficult situation. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, all right, how do I make it better next time? And and it is quite exposing um, because we do coach development stuff where you'll watch someone and you give them feedback, Mm -hmm. which is good. But then if you can spot your own mistakes, next time you can make that correction before it even becomes a mistake. Exactly. And then you're like, wow, I'm in control here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on, on that point when you said, you know, loads of people are just posting the videos on Instagram, like they'll just chop it, put it on. Um, 
And I messaged an athlete the, the other day um, who put a video on and he was doing hang power snatches uh, at like a light to moderate weight. And when he was ringing the bar down, his arms were still bent. And I just messaged him saying, hey mate, don't know if you kind of realize it, but your arms are still bent, like, you know, when you're bringing it down, um, just don't want you to get to competition and mm -hmm. get busted, busted for that. Um, and he was like, oh, sorry, I didn't kind of realize that I was doing it. And it's like, people are videoing themselves, but not actually really taking note of the, you know, mm -hmm. the finer details that they should be improving mm -hmm. on. It's just kind of like, there's so much stuff it's just kind of it just mm. all becomes a blur doesn't it yeah it's 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 the understanding of why you're filming mm. like use it to your advantage like potentially i know like in in crossfit at, at that kind of intermediate to advanced level you you have like sponsor obligation to post and things like that like with the the can of sports drink or the the booty short of choice in the shot <laughs> but ultimately like use that as a secondary like reason to do it it's like right i'll post that and i'll get paid that but then like use it to your advantage because mm -hmm. I guarantee the the people that are the best get paid the most to do those posts. Yeah. So you might as well like use it, watch it back. Like okay, um, I always find it quite peculiar if someone posts something and it's horrific. Mm -hmm. Like unless they're posting it in jest and they're making a joke of it, which yeah. I'm very much a big fan of. Like yeah. I don't take myself seriously at all. <laughs> um, or like for me, I'm doing this squat program at the minute. I think like I post the odd lift not to boast because it, they're not very amazing lifts compared to what I've done previously and what mm. others are doing. Yeah. It's more my accountability factor. Yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Show like, it, it, this is tough. This process does take a long time mm -hmm. and trying to resonate with some people. So in my small following that I have. <laughs> I think uh, for me, with Instagram and, and that sort of stuff now, I'm always aware of like, or I'm more aware now of actually what I, I do post. So it used to be like all training videos now, but mm. now it's much more balanced. But it's obviously that balance where sometimes you want to, you post work stuff, but I don't want people to have the perception that my life is just consumed by, you know, yeah. by CrossFit the whole time because, it, because it's actually, mm. it's not. Um, and that's, I always say to athletes don't put all your eggs in one basket mm. um you know you should have a few different baskets because if you drop that basket that's when you have a complete meltdown and mm. you fall out of love with you know doing it and and everything else so i think you know just mm. also like if you're right at the top level of the sport like you've got to keep your cards slightly closer to your chest yes. i think if we use matt fraser as an example he now, well, he doesn't post much about his performance because he knows it's not an elite level anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, he would still be an elite level athlete, but yeah. his perception is, I need to be everyone in everything. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, like, when he was competing, he didn't post anything. Yeah. There wasn't, it didn't. wasn't, like, the, if you think of his priorities and you look at um, him, there's a, there's a few people right at the top of the sport. Like, we'll, we'll get into Dave because we've been, I've rewatched <laughs> a video and we'll have to link the video in of, of the, the, perfect transition um like coming out of a swim into a run um, by the biggest human being ever known yeah um but yeah like if once you get to those levels like your priority list and, and what you're what you're doing becomes even more important um to really like hit the levels you want to hit or go to the next level mm -hmm. let's uh, let's uh, let's mention that that david moment yeah um so I'm, uh, let's talk about david actually. let's talk like, about yeah, david. david david's an amazing guy like I, I never met him to like speak to him and know him, but I'm quite fortunate that the environment I like 
started doing my CrossFit career in these guys called Ben and Tim mm-hmm. um, opened a, a CrossFit gym called Blitz, um, which is in Twickenham. And I said to them, like, as soon as you open a gym, I was like, give me a job. Like, I'll coach you at CrossFit. Yeah. I was doing my other, like, Nuffield Health job, mm-hmm. got myself a mortgage to buy a house. And, like, I want to say we bought a house in a September and then they opened in the October. Right. And then in the November, I was, like, trying to quit my full-time job to, like, try and do this yeah. on the proviso that they were giving me, like, four hours a week worth of work. <laughs> and I was like, right, just knocking on the door, getting it. Um, but Ben was very, very good at CrossFit before the gym opened but mm-hmm. then he become exceptionally good and qualified for 2014 european regionals yeah so as a gym we had a great community we just went bosh straight over to to copenhagen and then that was the like first big uk year mm-hmm. so you had Steve, you had mitch you had dave shonky like ben like loads of people i think possibly alec harwood um matt woodrell yeah rob like you think about it's it like, like they're all like if Lee, you think of those names Lee Lee Howe Howe as yeah, well. would have been in there yeah so many and it was just a good experience to like watch ben throw down he come 11th or something like that mm-hmm. in europe you're like wow That's like and then yeah dave was there and they're like he, he was he resonated with me because he was a slightly bigger crossfitter mm. so i was like well i'm six foot six yeah. or anything like that <laughs> but I was, i'm bigger than the normal crossfitter yeah. and um yeah i was like oh he's like cool dude he, he carried himself and he had th- this presence that like when he walks around people like he's Is got he? a good presence he's calm yeah. he's assured it's like that kind of stuff and then yeah just watched him kind of develop and then he obviously he's had a, a few years where some injuries and stuff and then hadn't seen him in person for a while because he hadn't been competing mm. and then I went up to have a meeting with Steve and Ben I think Ben and, and then Dave and Emma were coming over mm-hmm. for something they met us and I remember he walked in the room and I remember me and Ben looked at each other and we were like fucking hell <laughs> like, he's massive yeah. he's massive compared to like and then before I could even like mention it Ben was like you're massive <laughs> and he was like yeah I know I've been doing bodybuilding and stuff like that and I was like yeah like and then obviously now we know he can shift, um, mm. did amazingly well in Madrid and now he's in Marbella just absolutely tearing it a new one. Um, but the, I think the thing, reason we're getting onto that is his attention to detail yes. is something that you, if, if you haven't experienced it, you, you, can't, you can't understand it. People will think that he's being too finicky, but you're like, this is exactly how it should be done. Yeah. And within our core programming team that we have, you need someone like that. Yeah. So do. like, I think our team is very well balanced in terms of if we think of my role is to just like throw ideas in there that are like, if someone can catch that and run with it, let's, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Like a pie in the sky, kind of more of a realist, like what a member wants. Dave's more of like that structured approach. Like Jack, you're, you're the, the guy that actually puts this shit together. Cause we'll throw ideas in there or like scenarios. And we'll be like, well, I don't even know how to even begin with that. <laughs> and then you like all of a sudden a week later have a structure to actually do it. And we're like, oh, oh, we can actually do this. Yeah. As opposed to if it was just an ideas person, none of them would get done. Mm-hmm. If it was just logistics, none of them would get done because they would just be spent doing that. Yeah. And then feels like the anatomy and then the honest realist man yeah, who's just <laughs> sitting on the Zoom call, not saying anything, but you can see he's just waiting. Yeah. He's waiting. And Brisbane. then... You see, like the unmute go off, and like everyone goes, "Oh, Phil, your time." Real talk. (laughs) Tell us what's going on. So, um, yeah, Dave. Dave is um, fantastic. Got a wealth of knowledge. Knows how to structure it. And I think 
if we if we asked him the question why do, how do you feel like you've got yourself to this structure two things would probably come up obviously listen to his podcast and you can tell he's got a very structured upbringing and lifestyle and that's mm -hmm. helped but secondly i think getting injured yeah getting injured allows you to really focus on what's important and mm -hmm. what's not because emotionally you can go one way or the other and yeah, you, can you can see he's got that right and then secondly it was like how am i gonna turn something that's potentially a negative into, into a massive positive yeah definitely uh, just to add to what you said so when david kind of took took on more more programming roles within jst compete the amount and the the details that are in the notes now i was like well this is yeah. this uh, this has gone up a level now this is this is really good yeah and uh the other thing as well is the the accountability factor and that environment that, that again you you mentioned before with him and when he came earlier this year uh, and, and reggie was was uh, up in wigan as well like david would be saying to reggie like you know come on pick up your game here like that mm -hmm. should be better than you know how it's looking right now or, or whatever else um and it, it was it was really good and that's how when me and steve were training together like more seriously we'd be like right that wasn't quite good because of this mm. or we'd kind of you know make sure that we're holding each other to the highest standards and i think a lot of environments that that don't work out is because there isn't that honesty there and you're not holding each other accountable yeah. um, and it can quickly go downhill from that point mm. which we found out you know earlier this year we had a few tough lessons this year when we tried to bring a group together in Wigan didn't work out but everyone moves forward and you know you learn as much as you can from it as well yeah I, th I think you um you end up getting to that point where you you have to identify those people that are going to raise other people up and from a class perspective that's a very difficult situation it's a business that needs to be run mm -hmm. and you can't you can't select who comes to your gym um, you could, but it might be quite a small group because yeah. your perception of what works is, is probably very small compared to the general community that mm -hmm. you have. So it, it's one of those ones that you need to create an environment that is really open and welcoming. And then at the end of the day, CrossFit has this like no dickheads kind of mentality where you don't have to say there's no dickheads. Mm -hmm. But I know at Blitz in the, in the years that I was there that there's only been maybe one or two that have come in and haven't lasted long. Yeah. There, there, there's never been that many people that have gone, stayed in, that have been really, really difficult for the community and they've had to be like crowbarred out. They mostly come in, realise that they're not part of it and then, mm -hmm. then, then they leave. And that's the same thing within, you always have the odd person that comes into a team dynamic in, in our squad that was like not the right person. They just don't last very long. Yeah. Um, not because the other people are, are horrible, but they're just, yeah, that honest conversation because the honesty is only going to raise it up if you mm -hmm. go oh that's all right actually that's not like the conversation about the person that wants that first pull up um you you say to someone like you can do all the strict work in in the world but if you lost like five kilo five kilos you'd probably get that pull up yeah um and then it's initially a very difficult one to say because you don't know how they're going to react mm -hmm. but if you say it in a way that's a positive like mm -hmm. they're going to go right they genuinely understand what's going on yeah more likely to get the pull up by losing five kilos and actually trying to get stronger mm -hmm. um but there yeah, that comes down to like that coaching you've got to be honest with people and of course yeah just segueing off segueing off uh, off this then um so going into a bit more the coaching mm. side of things 
So you, you've got your level three now, but you've yep. also had the opportunity quite a few years ago to be, or got offered a position on, on seminars, CrossFit seminar staff as yeah. well. Do you yeah. want to just tell us a little bit about that, that story first and yeah. how so that kind of played out? That started, I did my level two. So mm-hmm. you do your level one um, for people that most, most people are listening to this <laughs> CrossFit. So you, 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 you do CrossFit the cult for like a few months and then you're like, right, I might want to make this a job or a hobby. Mm. So you do your level one, which is two days. Um, and then everyone says, oh, I can't believe you can open a gym after two days. And I still think from a structural point of view, I, I still say that it's pretty crazy, but as a business model, it's very clever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can get an affiliate fee done paid pretty quickly. Um, but then the level two is probably the, the course that stood out to like change the way I coached massively. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, what was that? It was up in Manchester. Carl Stedman was running it again, bit of a, a CrossFit OG. <laughs> and you all sit in a, like not in a circle, but in a group. And then um, they said, oh, what do you want to get out of this course? And they ask everyone. And I, I, was, I was in the middle, I sat in the middle. Um, I normally like to sit at the back, but I think I was just sat in the middle. Um, and when it got to me, I said, oh, I want to do your job, Carl. I said it. Everyone turned around and looked at me. And I like, I needed to then like think, shit, do I provide context to that? <laughs> I was like, I don't want to take your job. I just yeah. would like to do seminar yes. stuff because yeah. I was doing the CrossFit coaching. That was good. And that was filling a, a bucket. But I was like, I felt like I could do a bit more and I love mm-hmm. CrossFit. So I said that and he was like, okay, cool. I like that. And then didn't say anything else. And I was like, oh fuck, have I pissed him off? And then they went through the, the things and then we did, I want to say we may have done our first breakout thing or learning some stuff. Yeah. And then he come up to me and he was like, when you said that, what do you mean by that? And I was like, oh look, I'd like to, if there's an opportunity in the future to do like the seminar stuff and, and, and stuff. And he was like, oh, I'll keep an eye on you in this course. And then went through because you do a lot of breakout group coaching yeah. and stuff like that. And I learned a huge amount. I learned like I delivered, I coached like I, the level one, because I'm very much like a, a, a visual learner. I just mm-hmm. coached it exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that was very endearing to what the seminar staff and, and what they want. Yeah. So I got like an email a month or so later right. saying, oh, you've been recommended to take part in the internship. Right. And... I was like, oh my God, this is fucking sick. Like, <laughs> oh, what am I going to do? And they were like, so here's an opportunity. You look for your, you look for level ones um, that are within reason. We don't pay you. We don't provide expenses to go. Right. You're like, if you want to do it, do it. And I was like, I want to do it. Okay. So um, man, I got myself signed up to, to go and it was in Swansea, uh, Velocity. Matt Evans was the, the flow for the day, I'm pretty sure. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be seminar staff, like <laughs> turn up on the Friday, got myself ready. I didn't, didn't go meet them. And then I want to say like, on the Saturday morning, turn up, got in a, in Velocity, there was like an office, but it was quite small and like, we're all in there. Yeah. And they're like, this is Jamie. There was a guy called Pete Howell, mm-hmm. um, who was doing the internship and he'd done a few sessions. He was on like four or five. And I was like, this is my first one. And Matt Evans just went, what are the progressions for a med ball clean? And I just... <laughs> could not speak couldn't get a word out he was like oh i was like oh stop like deadlift like and then i'd like get them to do that he was like no what are the progressions that are in the level one book for a med ball clean and i went i don't know and he went you better know by lunchtime and i went i will and then i was sheepish and i just did not 
I was they were so on your first internship you don't actually you don't do anything yes. you're you're there to observe mm. um, you're there to interact with the, the participants kind of in and around the breakout groups and then when it's workout time you can then go and motivate and support and, and get yourself stuck in <laughs> so I did those and then um, like you get you get through the weekend and then I was like driving home just thinking oh my god like they ain't gonna have me back and then. <laughs> I did like kind of then knew I'd have to do some coaching to get on there. I yeah. really wouldn't get on one. So I got recommended to go again. Mm-hmm. And the feedback was like very quiet. Like, and I was like, it's because I was fucking scared. Like, <laughs> I don't like, not, like, not in a bad way, but just like the presence. I was like, yeah, that's the level I need to be at. Yes. So then I was like, just it took me on a level. And that level two kind of meant that when my coaching at Blitz just went up, I remember Ben and Tim were like, oh my God, like your coaching has gone on a level, yeah. on a level two. Then you get the, I did another internship at Velocity, which is the second one. This time you coach like one element out of the squat series, one mm-hmm. element out of the pressing, one element out of the uh, the pulling series. Thought I did a good job. Like there was like, okay, like here's some things to work on. And then the third one was three weeks after my daughter was born. I went to Glasgow. I think we were talking about this yeah, last night. I didn't as we were having a whiskey. Um, <laughs> Like Carl was the the flow on this, and it was like this time you're gonna. I didn't know how it evolved. Mm-hmm. I thought I might just do one of each thing. He was like, no, you're gonna coach all the breakout groups. So air squat, front squat, overhead squat, like strict press, push press, push jerk, deadlift, sumo, deadlift, high ball, med ball, clean. Glad I remembered that. Um, <laughs> and then you're like, you you go through it and you get to the end of the day, and Carl had like a, a plethora of notes, and he was like. I think you, you could you could I can recommend you and I was like this is sick it's like yeah. so good um, but yeah having a, a kid and everything was just the timing wasn't right so kind of slowed down the process of joining the, the, the team mm-hmm. I remember I still like got an email from Dave Castro saying like well done on passing and I was like that's really cool <laughs> and I've, I've still got the email I never yeah. deleted it um, <laughs> framed on your wall yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um, every, then that was the when the level three was just getting developed okay. so then a few months later or quite a long time later probably a year or so later I was like right maybe I'm ready to do the seminar mm-hmm. stuff and like get on the road and do that stuff and then they were like you need your level three yeah I was like okay um, and then yeah it was uh, do, do the level three which I, I feel is a uh, it's interesting because it is just an exam to like kind of I, I when I'm coaching classes when we're doing tests I don't mm-hmm. say this like defined you for one but it just allows you to know where your current level is yeah um, and yeah you do the do the multiple choice exam passed it was very nervous but again about doing it like when you doubt yourself but mm. I think that's a good thing I think if you if you you've got to believe that you can pass it and I felt like I could pass it yeah but if you go into it with like I'm definitely going to pass it yeah. you're probably going to be like not think your shit don't stink. <laughs> yeah. yeah um so yeah did that and that got me to my level three I've now had it over three years because I had to renew it um with online courses and, and things like that um but that yeah that seminar staff thing is kind of I'm not sure in my current life like whether it's a an itch that needs scratching okay. if I said that in the correct yeah I think I said that in the correct way yeah um, because I don't know like what's going on with everything else in my life so it's like it'd be an opportunity I'd love to help serve the community because I know how good CrossFit is and I know how good it can be in terms of when people are delivering it right yeah so it's like why can't we help more people do it I, mm-hmm. I see the work that Carl and, and Oaks were doing in like the prisons yeah and like Project 180 and you're like this is it. Like, if everyone did CrossFit, 
we'd save so much money on the health service and all that kind of stuff. I think mm-hmm. people would be a bit more clued up, socially aware, so there'd be like less dickheads rolling about yeah. as well because it's quite a humbling experience CrossFit. So very much, very much so. I'd, I, I've, I've, I tell pretty much most people when we're on about you know coaching and stuff, but you are the best coach that I've seen in action um like in a class setting it's you know it's a, a privilege to, to actually watch you do it um going into that so what do you think does the crossfit courses teach very well and what doesn't it teach that you think is really important that coaches learn as well okay uh let's do the let's do the things that i think the crossfit does well yeah and then we'll go into the things that i think i've been very lucky with the people that have been around me that have Mm -hmm. helped me do um the next level of like coaching i think the things that crossfit do really well is they they have a clear progression to get you from a to b Mm -hmm. or to c to d um and i think that's hugely important because otherwise you just where do you start where do you finish if you don't have that clear entry point and exit point becomes a very muffled way of delivering topics and and movements and and going from a whiteboard to things and I always found we used to have coaches meetings at Blitz we were like right we all know how to coach the snatch really well in terms of we can spot the mistake we're like well how do we get to the snatch Mm -hmm. what are we doing before it how are we organizing the group and we were Blitz is is and was a very successful gym Mm -hmm. so we had busy classes so we tried the two coaches in one room. So 24 people in a class, two coaches rolling, a lead coach, an assistant coach. We tried that. It worked. It didn't work. Like, how do we make that better? Yeah. Started to refine those things. Um, but then ultimately it come down to having a structure. And I think that's what CrossFit does a very good job of in terms of structuring those progressions. Um, I think the things that were completely lacking which is not any fault of anybody's, but I think there is definitely a market for it, is presenting. Mm-hmm. Um, presenting and like being able to talk in front of large groups, how you change everything in your tone of voice, depending on whether you want people to go fast, slower, eye contact, like all of those kind of things are stuff that they can be taught, or they, sorry, they can be like raised as topics to then make people think, can I improve it? But you yeah. can't change someone's personality yes. and you shouldn't try to yeah. um, because as soon as like we've done some coach development stuff, I don't want people to coach like me. I want people to coach as best as they can coach because what works for me, my like slight sarcasm, maybe toe the line in terms of my language, mm-hmm. all of those things are all... I've learned to do that. Yes. And I've definitely learned by overstepping the mark Mm -hmm. and I've definitely learned by not giving enough and then found that happy balance. So the presenting come from um, one of the members at Blitz reads the news. Mm -hmm. He reads the BBC news. He's been on ITV. His name's (laughs) Lewis Vaughan Jones. And he's my biggest failure in CrossFit as a joke. This is a joke, by the way. Um, I had a leave-in do at Blitz and... uh, I remember him saying, like, my the biggest failure, Jamie, you've ever had is not being able to get me a pull-up. Um, because he could do pull-ups. And he got a muscle-up once. And I remember, again, talking about saying the wrong things. Yeah. I didn't see it. I was in the room. And he gets a bar muscle-up. And then I turn around. I hear him. He shouts my name. So I turn around to look at him. 
And the first thing I said should have been, or first thing I should have said was, amazing, well done. First thing I did say, I was like, how did you get up there? <laughs> Savage, mate. And it was like, not in a way that like, it's just, I just was like, oh, did he hook his foot on something or stand up? Right. And he was like, I did it. <laughs> and I was like, then I was like, amazing. Like, yeah. just my brain just yeah, took a yeah. second. Um, so yeah, he's like the biggest failure. But he, he used to come to the 9.30 classes, uh, all the lunchtime classes. And we were just talking, I think we, the question of the day was about jobs and, and yeah. stuff like that. And he was like, I'll read the news. And I said as a joke, you need to give me some tips on how to like talk to groups then. And he did. Yeah. He'd like the next day come in or something like that. And then he was in a bit early and he was like, here's like a couple of things that really help with presenting. And I'll give them to you. It was like when you're talking to a group, um, talk to like one person in the group as you're going around the room. So you look at one person in the eye, talk to them, then move on to the next person. So then you're not looking at the whiteboard when you're when you're talking. Yeah. Because I used to have a fat like habit of like reading the whiteboard mm. and then turning my back on the group. Yeah. It's harder to hear. And then secondly, you can't see whether they're engaging and listening. Like mm -hmm. you turn your back and everyone could be like hoodie up like <laughs> on their phone and you wouldn't even know if they were listening about the workout so that was one thing the other thing was to slow down now as soon as i say this i've said this to a lot of people i will then start doing it and you guys can then pick it out so when you can't think of something to say rather than fill in just don't say anything at all because when you start filling it you go um and basically and because all that stuff yeah he says it feels really awkward, but then when you watch it back, it doesn't feel like mm. as long. Yeah. So the um and the slow down was the, were the, the, the couple of things that were massive game changers for mm -hmm. me. It really helped me sound more calm. And like even now I'm aware of it, my tone of voice has slowed down. I feel yeah. a lot more relaxed. So yeah, that's probably the biggest thing that CrossFit coaches don't know how to do mm -hmm. is to present. And... Sometimes the members don't know what you're on about, about snatching <laughs> yeah. over the shoulders, under the shoulders, bar between your legs. But if you deliver it in a confident and assured manner, they're going to believe you. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you can get quite a long way with like faking it until you're making it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's the glaring uh, thing that's missing from a, a CrossFit coach, which again, at the end of the day, is it important from a safety, efficacy, efficiency, like paradigm it's like actually you just want to be safe mm -hmm. and then the movements are probably the things yeah. that need to be done but then it's moving on to the next level it's like what what keeps members coming back what yeah. makes your business grow yeah. it's like your members have got to like your coaches and they've got to feel comfortable coming and not just like one of them mm -hmm. you've got to like all of them because yeah. that one coach can't coach every day yeah and if they're not the owner of the gym they'll move on um as you see it happen like it's happened to me it's like opportunity wasn't there it's like time to move on mm -hmm. um so yeah you you learn and you grow from it yeah some great little tips there um i think leading on from that as well that's that's the the art of becoming a coach like it's not just learning the movements obviously once you do learn the movements like you said with the the level one and level two level three um what are the finer details around that? Are you good at telling a story? Can you, uh, do you have that emotional awareness to, to read the room? Um, you know, there's actually a lot more to coaching than what most people probably think. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I'd like to think that what we are trying to do through GST Train uh, like and the class programme is, like you said before, we don't want to tell coaches exactly how to do stuff because it's important that they are authentic to, their, to themselves. They'll have a different style. It's important that kind of comes through because that's how people are going to relate to them more. Mm. Um, yeah, I think Greg, like, so when we delivered the seminar yesterday, we got some, some great feedback from Greg in terms of the members liked it. But then also... It was a nice piece where he wrote about it gave him some real good food for thought on his coaching. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's someone that's going to get way better at coaching, not because of the information I've given them, just because of his mindset behind it. Like he was open and willing to learn new things and he was taking from that what he needs and what he can use. And I think that's that's another whole can of worms on like, all right, you've got to be perceptive to learning new things or taking it think we we both went on the the red pill weekend didn't we like take take what you want from that turn it into something that is manageable for like all I wanted to come away with was being out how can I do this in a class Mm -hmm. because that's my job how do I do this in a class yeah because the red pill stuff was fantastic for individuals and one-to-ones I was like how do we find like the middle ground so I can do this with 20 people in a room Mm -hmm. because that's my role like one-to-one it's quite easy you can do a movement assessment and stuff it's like how do you scale this to something different and no one's got it right. Um, I think on the athlete plan, we are, and Phil has written some amazing like mechanic sessions that have been game-changing for the athletes. Like we were, the feedback, people are coming back, they're like, they're getting, they're doing their PVs, but they're, they're going, oh my God, like my shoulder don't hurt. Yeah. All of a sudden I exactly. can get straight into a squat and you're like, this is it. These are the things that are missing on programs. Yeah, they're like, okay, you do 21, 15, nine, three sets of it. But actually that warm up was probably just more important more to important. getting you into the right place to keeping you, like Steve mentioned a long time ago, is like, I'll be good training wise if I just have a whole year, like not injured. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to be the best training every day. But it's just like, if you're not injured and you're not missing anything, you're, you're good. Mm, it's, it's true. Um, we had a few people yesterday off the back of what you, you said, just say, well, I actually feel so good off the, the <laughs> movement the movement work. And yeah. I was like, can totally resonate with that. And funnily enough, uh, we watched a video of Katrine this morning, didn't we? Yeah. And she was uh, saying, oh, like, actually, if you, you'd spend more time when you warm up and you know, you're doing the, like, the snatch warm up that we put in the program, as an mm. example, like you're gaining so much opportunity and reps. And I was just like, how has this person <laughs> managed to get to where she is without doing that? Imagine if she had done that from the start, she'd probably be, you know, pushing tear a lot more yeah. the past couple of years potentially. So it's uh, yeah. definitely an overlooked um, area. Um, I think taking those experiences, I think we've been, I've been very fortunate again with my exposure to to the right people at the right time in my learning as a coach, as a uh, a social athlete, I'm going to definitely put myself on. I'm, I'm going to train a bit harder. I heard, I heard Steve turns 35, I turn 35. I don't think we're in the same like bracket <laughs> level, but I reckon we, we're both probably pretty close at necking a pint because I heard he's quite good at that and um, we'll give it a go. But just like the experiences of we've all par- crossed paths, like anyone that did cross it between 2014 and 2017 will have done an Eric weightlifting camp or have mm. had at least five minutes with Eric. Um, and I think as much as like it wasn't for everybody 
his principles and his attention to detail ring true with everyone that was at the top of their sport. He was like, he was 100% in on weightlifting. Some of the, the greatest memories I have with weightlifting, and I still do it today, is where Eric would roll in, pair of bands on, hoodie, like hat on, and then he'd just open his laptop. Mm-hmm. Best watch 15 minutes of weightlifting, we'll yeah. go and watch weightlifting. Yeah. And then we're watching Ilya snatch 192 from a hang with straps, and you're like, this is it, like, go and get me on a bar. And then his structure, um, like Katrin potentially didn't have, was like there. Mm. Like, and I think our JST weightlifting warm-ups are born off of those structures. Yeah. The simple nature of it, they were hard. The attention to detail on the stepping. I think we added like the, the burpee or, did Eric do a burpee? Or yeah. I mean, no rep it as well. Definitely no rep it if you step. There then will the be a burpee, I think, as yeah. well, yeah. And I think those people go, oh, why on earth are you doing burpees like, well, I mean, you just don't want to do the burpees. Yeah. It makes you really pay attention to it and, yeah. and, and nail it on. But his experience was good. Um, what other experiences have I had like from coaching perspective? Did the mobility course very early on when Yami was on it okay. and got like a different perspective of like mobility. It was more like the Kelly's threat mobility was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Eric had a, a lasting impression on my attention to detail and weightlifting, mm-hmm. which was good. Oh, and also... How could I forget? Oh, Cameron Nicol. Yeah, as well. Rowan yeah. yeah. um, Another experience of an Olympic athlete at the top of their sport coming into CrossFit, coming to our gym, was a beast, but a lovely guy. Um, helped kind of take Rowan from a rowing perspective and put it into a class perspective. Yes. And that was my role. Um, I'm the class guy. I was like, how do I get this into a class? Uh-huh. And then got lucky to travel around and um, help deliver Rowan. And again, his attention to detail was second to none. Um, I think most of you know who Cameron is. There's, uh, there's loads of recurring themes that we've already spoke about in this conversation um, and it's it's uh, it's shaped it shapes how you become as a coach so we spoke before about David and the attention to detail uh, we spoke before about um, yeah we've spoken about quite a few different mm. few different things that have just cropped up in the exact same, you know, yeah. in what you just said then. Um, and I think to, to go on from that as, as well now, um, where do you see or what would you like to, to do to kind of help the, the wider CrossFit community? Um, what do you think mm. is kind of the next step on your, on your journey there? I, um, think, uh, I think the first thing that I feel it should be utilized better. And I think the regionals is is starting to do that from the competitive perspective, Mm -hmm. but getting people together more frequently to share best practice. Yeah. Um, I think people can be very secluded or very closed minded within their own stuff. And I totally get like, if you're a one man or one woman band owning a box, you can't leave it like you've got to be there and you're doing the day to day. But if you get your, get the opportunity to go and experience like new areas, like get to go to new boxes, go and meet new people, go on the affiliate gatherings, like get those nuggets of information. You're just going to improve your knowledge base. Um, so that's definitely something that we did. Uh, we've done a few coach development things. We did mm-hmm. some stuff for no ball, mm-hmm. um, down in London, just getting some London coaches together. Cause I think, the functional fitness world, I call it, in, in London, because again, there's like 
50% people are affiliated, 50% people say they're not doing CrossFit, but they're doing CrossFit. <laughs> um, but they're all at the end of the day in front of a group delivering yeah. some kind of group-based class. And there's a lot more to be taken from the Barry's Boot Camps, um, who are great presenters. Yes. They yeah. are probably more 70% presenter, mm-hmm. 30% trainer. And then it's like, well, how can I take what was really good there, who kept me motivated, kept me coming back, who's probably like, oh, I can't be bothered to, no one wants to come in at 6 a.m. and like do overhead squats. But mm-hmm. if you've got someone who you know you can enjoy going to, it's like, how do I take that and then use that rather than go in? Um, someone always asked me out, someone asked me at Summer Social when they have like an F45 pop up, what do you think of F45? So I love it. They're like, what do you mean? You love it. They do shit exercises. I was like, <laughs> If my mum did F45, yeah. I'd be happy. They were like, why? I was like, because she don't do CrossFit. Yeah. She does nothing. Yeah. So if she does F45 mm-hmm. or any kind of exercise, it's better than nothing. Right. So we've got to be less about us and them mm-hmm. and more about everyone together. Yes. Um, and that doesn't matter where. Like I know people move from gym to gym. Mm-hmm. I moved down the road to another gym. And members move to other gyms. And it's like, here's what it is. Yeah. Like yeah, rather than questioning, oh okay, um, it must be them, is like, is it us? Like if you want if you want to keep someone, like are you doing a good enough job to keep someone? Mm-hmm. Um another way to think about it when I'm coaching a class, if um if I explain something and someone someone doesn't get it, it's not their fault. Like sometimes I know if they're not listening. Yes. But most of the time I'm like, okay, I'll try again. And then if they just don't get it, I'm like, I haven't explained it well enough. Yeah. Rather than going, oh, that person's a space cadet and they've got mm-hmm. no idea, they're not thinking, they're not listening, are they stupid? Actually, I just haven't done a good enough job of delivering it in a way that they can understand it. Yeah. So how do I do that next time? I, I remember you saying that a while ago and like that's always stuck with me as well. And then the other thing that we've, put out to some of our gyms is the the different sorts of cues you can give to people. And it's one of them, can you go through each one of the different cues? So um, verbal, uh, tactile and- Visual. Visual, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and can you go all through them? Like hopefully after the three different styles they've, yeah. they have picked it up. Yeah. If, if they haven't, it's one of them like back to the drawing board, how can you work better on mm. the different cues to, to improve? And curiosity, that was the big thing. I think a lot of, and why you are so good is like, you're curious about stuff. Like you said about Barry's boot camps. Mm-hmm. then it's like, they get 50 to 70 people in a class. Mm-hmm. Like obviously they've got the kind of facilities and, and everything and all the runners to, to be able to do that. But like you said, they are obviously doing something right with how they present classes and deliver their classes. Is there something as, a CrossFit gym that we can do mm. to that as well. Like, is it, I don't know, something more to do with the music. They're really good at kind of doing yeah. the music and the timing of it. Do you know what I mean? It, it should be sparking ideas for yourself. Mm. Like, do you have warm up music? Do you then have different music for different styles of workouts? You know, it, I think it's really exciting to get, yeah. get stuck into that and actually explore different things rather than being stuck in your own little box and, just coming up with the same stuff all the time. And like we said about Greg before, like just interesting to see how different people coach. Is there any little nuggets you can take that, copy it, mimic it a little bit, put your own little flavor on it. And again, it brings you to where you are today as to you know where you are 
in your coach's mm. development? The music thing is, is so... I don't think people realise it. So a couple of scenarios. Um, we'll talk about yesterday in a second. But with music, um, when I go and open up the gym or if I'm in and I'm coaching, try obviously you've got to be there early, you've got to be, be ready. But like at least 15 minutes before the class, I've got some music on. Yeah. Um, and it's low level. It's like some country music ticking over or something, something really chill and vibey. Um, because when you don't, you don't. You, you, you really notice the silence. Mm. Um, and yesterday was a, a perfect example. There was music rolling in the background. They had it rolling. Mm -hmm. And then it got to 10.30 and it was time to speak. And I, we didn't call anyone over straight away. I just turned the music off. And then everyone stopped talking. And they were like, it's, I think it's time to go now. So you don't have to say anything. And you're like, the vibe's everything. If you go to a coffee shop, when now, next time you go to a coffee shop, there's music playing. You probably yeah. didn't notice it. And the one time you the music's not working, you will notice it and yeah. it'll be deafening. Um, so the coffee shop music kind of ticking over in the background is hugely important for making people feel comfortable and relaxed. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, changing the, changing the music is, if we think of the, the priority list of a CrossFit coach, it is down on the list. It's lower over. But once you feel like you've got the progressions, you've got your timeline and you've got the group moving, mm -hmm. like get the music right. Because um, I was talking to Sam Cornforth um, the other day and he's like, I can never hear the music when I'm working out. Yeah. Apart from when I don't like the music mm. and the music shit. <laughs> so like it, stands, it stands out when it's not going. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, like those, those kind of things from a coaching perspective are, are there to like add to the experience. Mm -hmm. And nowadays with the premium that people pay with CrossFit, the volume of CrossFit gyms that are going, the level of detail that they're going into this might become like a make or break for someone's job. Like, yeah. okay, you have two coaches that deliver excellence in all of their movements, but then you've got one group of members that like one of the members, the coach's music. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you're like, okay, they go to that class because they enjoy that vibe. Yeah. And you're like, wow, could you, you might get to that point now. It's, it's so true. And that's how, that's how Barry's works, doesn't yeah. it? You know, you, most people, and Hannah's got a few friends that go to Barry's and it's like, I'm going to this class that this guy is taking because how he speaks to the group and the music that he delivers as well is is on point whereas this other guy kind of shouts at you a bit too much it's a bit too military it's kind of you know yeah. not their vibe yeah. you don't go to you know that other guy's class um, they get they get paid per member yeah. to go so they get a base salary mm -hmm. and then they'll get paid a premium for how many come imagine if your crossfit coaches were then told you'll get a base salary which is probably a little bit low and you'll get paid per member that goes do you feel like their quality would improve? If it's a yes, you've got a, such an easy scope to get someone better as a coach straight yeah. away. If they're motivated like that, if they know that, okay, if they've got 20 people in the class, they're getting 40 quid an hour. Mm -hmm. Okay. If they've only got 10 people in the class, they're only getting 20 quid an hour. Mm -hmm. And you're like, is that motivating? Like some people yeah. are motivated by money and, and it does make the world go round. But um, I know we flirted with that idea when there was a, a refurb at Blitz and there was mm -hmm. a conversation about it. It's, I don't know what the answer is in terms of how much you should, shouldn't, how much is dependent on that. But I certainly know that when we mentioned it to people, people's like standards improved yeah. because they were probably a bit nervous about these things mm. maybe kicking in yeah. and, and taking effect. Um, and I think that performance-related pay is, is definitely something that, from a coaching perspective, you can. we've all coached a shit class where we've just got through it. We've all coached an ace class and you're like, cool, that was worth way more than yeah. the, the other class. Yeah. Um, 
and again on on this day and on this uh, this subject as well if you can find if you can find a group of coaches that just want to continually learn and pick up all those little things like you're onto a, a, mm. you're onto a winner i think or i don't know obviously you're probably more in the loop here than me but is it hard to find crossfit coaches that are like that or do you think there's more now or do you think we're still at the early stages where um, people aren't as into um, like the development as what they could be because they know that there's not the amount of CrossFit coaches around to do you know what I mean yeah I think a long time ago at Blitz we had Tim Ben myself a uh, guy called Simon, mm. who's a very good coach. Um, Holly, who owns Tio. Yeah. Deb's man love, who <laughs> is an OG of the CrossFit world. We had probably the best group of coaches in London. Like, I'd probably say without a doubt. Yeah. We, Blitz was known for, like, the box. Like, the posh box, because Ben kept it fucking tidy. <laughs> like, couldn't breathe in there. You could use chalk, but you just had to tidy it up. Um <laughs> But then, like, the attention to detail on the coach, it was driven by all of us. Mm. Like, I would say that I was at the front kind of trying to pull it all together and create yeah. structure, but I didn't need to motivate people to be better coaches. They were doing it themselves. That's like, That's what that was good. And I see that now, like, at TO, um, our coaching group is a lot of experts, like, Holly, Debs, myself, um, a girl called Anna, who's an amazing coach, um, a guy called Grant, who absolutely loves his weightlifting, mm old codger wardlow like yeah. all of those people are all in and they're all self-motivated they want to make people better um and i know i haven't actually experienced it but motion just down the road who obviously a competitive gym as well they yeah. go to the games crossfit surbiton just knowing dudley harrison and grace i think they've created something there that i just see excellence coming out of it like Good. not only in like their elite level performance i'm like i know their community's there yeah i know they've got excellent coaches because if someone's moving out of the area and they're in within now, I'm like, get over to motion mm -hmm. because they just seem to know what they're on about and they've got this community and the coaches want to work for them. Yeah. Um, because you, if you get a group of coaches or if you get a coach now that's like going to the highest bidder, their loyalty's not there, they won't develop as a group, mm -hmm. they're not willing to work with, with other people. And some people are like that. Um, I think if I'm when I'm looking to employ a coach or bring a coach on mm -hmm. I don't necessarily look at the skills that they have yeah. I look at the personality that they have mm -hmm. um, and I'll use Har young Harrison as an example um, who's a traitor um, who's not on JST <laughs> at the minute but I reckon he'll be back on it after this month <laughs> um, he's just got a great personality and he's just a nice guy and he's willing to help people he's got a smile and all of those kind of things and I'm like I can teach him how to see a snatch I can't teach someone to hold a door open for someone. Mm -hmm. I remember like, he doesn't know that I'm saying this and I noticed it, but we were sitting in Blitz once and someone was coming up to the door and he just got up and opened the door. He's, he wasn't a coach. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. that's big. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if he, would, he was aware. If he was aware and he was trying to impress me, well done. He's got emotional <laughs> intelligence. He's not, he's not stupid, but like, he kind of just, he does the right things at the right time. And I can't remember the name name for that but like when you do the do the things where no one else is noticing mm -hmm. like he's just doing it because it's the right thing to do yeah. he's not doing it to really impress anyone so 
yeah that's uh, selecting a coach is based off of that I think we and we've we've uh, spoken about this before where if you were to choose a coach that has all the knowledge in the world but um, you know isn't a, like either a kind person or um, has much about them you know kind of personable or someone that's mm. you know can talk to people um, you know empathize with them uh, and them not know very much at all you'd take the person that's you know can empathize is personable um you know a kind person um because you can always teach them yeah yeah you, you can't teach someone to be a nice person um but you yeah you can definitely give them the, those other skills um and it just it means that they're not only going to be easier to integrate into your coaching team mm. they're going to be like good with the members like yeah. they're going to be there they're going to turn up to social events they're going to do the right thing at the right time as opposed to the person who's like the clock watcher or, or the person that's like so obsessed with the okay this needs to be 83 and a half percent of 42 like no one's gonna give a shit about that and like <laughs> do they need it like does that member who comes three times a week that's I was talking to one of my individual clients this morning she like did a competition yesterday and um she's like my, like she had some sandbag holds and stuff okay. and she was hanging it and she was like my back's aching and this morning like my daughter asked me to pick her up and it was like ouch <laughs> and I was like but she's great like mm. she'll she'll pick her daughter up like she's not gonna not yeah. like she's yeah, the kind yeah. of person that like yeah. will get stuck in but she's at least she's aware mm -hmm. as opposed to that person like that's probably a bit too finicky they're like no 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 no. I can't I, I competed yesterday like yeah. I can't pick up my daughter I'm like yeah. you're gonna pick up yeah, your daughter yeah. and she does so <laughs> Um, is there anything else that you feel like um, a lot of either gyms or coaches are kind of missing out on or could look to maybe just get a few easy wins or easily improve or I don't know um, yeah I think the, the one the one major thing that I always go back to and I think I've delivered it quite a few times is having a structure to do it to deliver a class mm-hmm once you have that, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a, a written timeline, but you just need to know, I'm gonna talk at the whiteboard mm -hmm. about the workout, I'm gonna give yeah. some information, I'm gonna get them into like a warm up. I'm gonna talk to them about certain stuff, then I'm gonna go through the skill that maybe is required or the workout movements, and then I'm gonna get them into workout, and I'm gonna finish, and then um, Ben introduced, which he took from the games, when we finish our classes, do three claps on three to signify the end of the class. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Chuck Carswell used yeah, to signify the end of a yeah. end of a briefing yeah. with like one big clap or three yeah. claps, and it was like everyone then knew to leave. Yeah, um, and it, it is something that it doesn't feel like a lot, and then when you first do it, it feels super awkward. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember Simon. Simon just wasn't doing it. He was like, "Nah, I'm not doing it," and I was like, "Mate." you need to start doing it because yeah. Ben catches you not doing it yeah, and you fucking cut your balls off yeah. um, and then yeah he did then then it now members wait members wait until you do the three claps if you don't do the three claps they're like I can't go <laughs> I can't go um, so yeah having a structure to um, to be able to just keep yourself in line because then it breeds consistency for your members so say you have we had seven coaches we'd all deliver a whiteboard yeah. in their own unique way mm -hmm. we'd deliver the warm-up which would probably be structured and then and then through and then we'd finish the same so the start and the finish would always be the same yeah. so then the members come to expect it and then if they already know what to expect we used to we, I'm a big advocate of sending your members to other CrossFit gyms if you're if you ever want to know whether you're 
confident in your product, yes. you've told members to go to other gyms. If you're like, no, stay, don't go to another it's CrossFit true. gym. Yeah. Um, and then we used to, especially, I think it has evolved, but I know when the members like years ago at Blitz used to go to America or on holiday or something like that, they're like, so I kind of got in the gym and they just said, well, look, here's the workout. We'll start in 15 minutes, get ready. And I didn't know what to do. I was a bit lost. And I was like, okay, we're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Could we do a better job though? Yeah. Because the better job I took from that was like, our members don't know what to do if we're not there. Yes. I was like, oh shit. We need to give them a little bit yeah. of like help and structure, but ultimately we need to then empower them to mm-hmm. do it. And I did it in a couple of different ways. Probably the best way I did it is when a member asks, what weight shall I do? I'll be like, what weight do you think you should do? Mm-hmm. And they're like, I think 35 might be a bit too much, but I'd like to try and get stronger. So I might try and do that. And I'm like, you're telling me all the right things. Yeah. Give 35 a go. Mm-hmm. They've made the decision. So like from a point of view, if it was too heavy or too light, it's their fault. <laughs> <laughs> but then secondly, they've made the decision. Yeah. As opposed to, we've all been there as a coach. They're like, they're walking towards you like 35, go and do 35. Mm-hmm. That'll be the right weight for you today. Mm-hmm. And then they don't have any like emotional relationship with that decision. Yeah. They've just been told what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're there to like educate and inspire people. So then they've got a better idea on what they should be doing. Because then in time, they tell you what they're going to do. Yes. And there's like three stages of it. There's like, what shall I do? You ask them. Then the next stage of they're like, I'm going to do 30 today. I think that's the right weight, but they're telling you. Mm-hmm. And then the next stage is they don't even tell you, they just do it. And you're like, here you go. Yeah. And then you go over and then encourage, motivate, coach them to threshold uh, and those kind of things. Because yeah, when you get good athletes in your class, like Ben used to go in the class, um, if you're a new CrossFit coach, you might be quite daunting coaching a games athlete. Mm-hmm. But because he moves really well, I learned to then not coach him on his movement because he didn't need those tweaks as much. Yeah. But what I did need to coach him on was his threshold. Mm-hmm. It was like, can you stay closer to the bar? Mm-hmm. Can you transition a bit faster? Because he was very, he's, if we all know Ben, he's very much in control. Mm-hmm. But actually, we needed to get him just outside of that control so yes. then he could push and threshold. Yeah. We had a games athlete in Pat who was a master. Um, same kind of thing. He needed probably a bit more tweaks, but you've got to be willing to coach him. And I used to put new coaches in the classes that allow, like that Ben was in, or yeah. Ben would go in those classes. Yeah. And I'd be like, Ben, did he coach or she coach you? And they were like, no. And then I'd be like, why didn't you coach Ben? Yeah. They were like, oh, but he's doing it right. I was like, yeah, but imagine he was paying 200 quid a month, he weren't getting coached. Yeah. They were like, oh yeah. I was like, give him something. Yes. It might be a well done. Mm-hmm. It might be a good job, keep going, push it, push it, push it. You can be faster. Yeah. Like, keep going, hang on. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the kind of conversations to have with really, really good people. Yeah, they are. Um, we we briefly touched on that last last bit about coaching. You know, if you're uh, not too confident in what uh, advice you should be getting, be giving, you know, a good athlete in your gym who may like move better than you. Sometimes it's good to ask them, like, is there anything you feel like you struggle with in this workout or when you do this lifting? You know, ask them their opinion because. They probably will know or have an idea of what it is that they need to improve on and they'll really appreciate that you're actually trying to help them and like you said they're paying the 200 pounds a month just like you know john who's just started um so equally you know you should be giving them points to to work on the other thing as well that you were talking about is the guided discovery and that's when you 
kind of point the members roughly in the right direction or ask their opinion and guide them to the right answer or what you yeah. know is the right answer. And that's something JST as a whole is very big on. It's like, we provide you with everything you need. So you are the kings and queens of, of your choices. And, mm. you know, as an athlete, you've just got to take the personal responsibility and have the curiosity to find out, oh, like, I'm going to try doing this or yeah. like, I'm going to go out my way to ask Jamie um, for some advice, um, you know, so that's a huge... Verbalising it, I think, is a really important thing as well. I think we, when we spoke with Matt Rodwell, mm. that we didn't record, <laughs> um, was um, he has, he's a big advocate at ARC about verbalising only the positive. Even if someone's going, oh, this is going to be really hard today or yeah. I can't do this today, he's not, he's not a fan of that mm -hmm. um, because that can breed, like, not necessarily negativity, but doubt and yes. then insecurity and all of those kind of negative connotations that you can have in your head but actually you just want to have that positive like i'm gonna give it a go yeah um, yeah especially with the higher skill movements when you're coaching definitely get every now and again when you go through um a bar muscle up progression it gets to the point where it's like time to attempt mm. and then you go right guys who's gonna give this a go yeah and that one person goes oh, i'll give it a go but i don't think i'll get it yeah i'm like i don't think you'll get it then that's you what i told you. yourself you don't and they're like yeah what i was like if you don't think you can get it, mm -hmm. no one's going to believe you can it's get true. it. It's true. Give it a go. Yeah. Like, there's no there's no harm in failure mm -hmm. here. And you've got to go in it to it with your positive pants. You've got to go give a bit of a whack. And then when they get it, oh, I can do it. I'm yes. like, give it a go. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's where you guide them the other way. If someone's probably putting on weights or trying movements that are like far beyond their capabilities. But again, I'd never, I used to stop people doing that. But mm -hmm. now it's, it's, a, it's a learning experience. It is. It's learning to to fail and then and then motivate and we were, when we were having a drink last night talking about like how my daughter like teaching her how to lose and learning how to fail as a as a concept that's quite a hard concept to to get behind because you you I've definitely had the point where my daughter's cried because I absolutely destroyed her in a workout or something like that yeah <laughs> or like made her do something and she couldn't physically do it mm -hmm. but again on the back end of that that's a lesson learned if it's delivered correctly like you give them the win eventually, but again, if you always let someone win, they're never gonna know how to deal with when it's difficult. Yes. And I think like kids are resilient. Like my relationship's now not a relationship, and my daughter lives two hours away from me. And like, I was FaceTiming just before yeah. before here. And it, it's learning and like at seven years old, like it she's she's just taking it in her stride. Kids are really resilient and they're they're just trying to get get their head around what's actually going on. Yeah. So it's, okay, throw those things at them in a controlled environment. Mm -hmm. Like her mother's really good with her, can identify those kind of things. That's why the FaceTime come up because she was yeah. missing me a bit. And it was yeah. like, had that interaction, she'll feel great. Just check up on it later. And it's like, they're the things that like, okay, all of a sudden coaching is a bit irrelevant when, you're, when you've got a daughter and you're like, oh, all right. She's crying on the phone because she wants to speak to you. And you're like, okay, well, let's, yeah. let's get it. Let's get it back in line. Yeah. So. It's, uh, I think it's, it's, they tend to be much more powerful experiences when you are finding it out yourself rather than someone telling you. So for yeah. example, uh, like 
like you said, I'll give the class situation where there's a guy that wants to put on this weight on the bar and you've told him, no, you can't do it. It just feels like, oh, like Jamie's kind of holding me back. Whereas if you're like, yeah, go on, give it, yeah. give it, give it a go. See, see how it goes. And they don't finish the workout in the time cap. It's kind of like, I definitely shouldn't have gone that workout. Um, and like you say, with, with children and stuff as well, I think we, you know, don't give them enough, um, I don't think that's the right phrase, but give them enough slack or give mm. them enough credit. That's, yeah. the, that's the one. Because like you said, they are really resilient mm. and with all the experience that we have now and what we've learned as coaches and working with people, we know from like all those mistakes that you made, like mm. when you were PT and early, that yeah. those are probably your best lessons and have helped you to become, you know, the great yeah. coach that you, that you are now. So you want to give your daughter and the best... Uh, yeah. you know best opportunity to those life experiences yeah. Yeah. make make everything I think um, also yeah being aware I think um, one coach Anna does a, an amazingly good job of in her cool down she'll ask a good question she's like how did the workout go yeah and that's like a good start point and people go oh yeah it's hard that was difficult oh I was going to be sick and then she follows it up with an even better question mm. what could you do differently next time yeah not to go faster. Mm -hmm. Like she says, what can you do differently next time? And some people will go, oh, if I didn't rest as much, I'll go quicker. Some people are like, oh, I need to work on X movement. Yeah. And you're like, they're saying it. Yeah. Um, sometimes you have to like poke the bear. Like if you know someone's do not doing a good job, but that they're just two really good questions that bring the group together before mm -hmm. the three claps that are so empowering because then the person's already thinking about next time Mm -hmm. I come in yeah. I'm going to work on that and if you think they're already thinking about next time as a retention tool yeah. it couldn't be that it's the best retention tool ever Big because time. they're coming back yeah it's true um, so I've got a, an individual client called Georgia uh, I think I'm saying this right Eris she's South African um, she's a great great girl uh, and before she went individual with me she was used to more of like a hand-holding approach, like taking her through a training, tell her exactly how like to do stuff, how this workout should feel. And uh, I think the first month or so, she uh, was kind of adjusting because I wanted her to be more curious about her training and what she wanted to get out of the training. And rather than me telling her exactly how I want her to do stuff, I want her to decide herself. I want to be like, what is it you feel like you need to work on? Like, do you want to try and do it this way? Maybe you do one set like that, you do one set like this, but you decide because you know yourself pretty much like how, you know, what you're going to get the most out of there. Um, so I think that's how Steve and myself learned the best when we were training. Um, and I think also as well is even though I'm individually programming for a client, I don't, I don't know for sure exactly how you're going to feel each day. Mm. And again, for you to get the most out of each training day, you need to do the best you can with how you feel. And some days you might not be feeling great. And what I've said, how I've said to do this workout mm. isn't the optimal way for you to do it that day. So yeah. I think giving 
athletes and people in classes that little bit of flexibility but like mm. say that having that guided discovery is how I feel is the most optimal way making them the kings and queens of like yeah. you know we, we had that conversation yesterday didn't we it was one of the questions it yeah, was like did. how do we how do you balance training it was more of a a female um, cycle based question yes but it was still relevant for everybody in the group in terms of one person after we had like a little nutrition thing it was like it's reassuring to know that you guys are like normal I mm. think she was referring <laughs> to you in terms of like your nutritional habits but it was more like okay it's all right to not be in chicken broccoli and rice like yes. with no sauce and stuff as we were banging sriracha on those eggs about <laughs> an hour ago um yeah just having understanding there's that balance there mm. and I think that being happy and relaxed is a much better training environment than just being pent up and trying to push to that next level. Yes. I think the, there's only it's a very, very small group of people that can do that dungeony kind of thing. And it's not necessarily CrossFit as a sport that can be done mm. that way. I think it's, it is an individual sport based thing, but it's a very closed environment. I think tennis is one of those, those sports um, where you just lock yourself away with your coach. You yeah. do it and then you go and play yeah. and then you're there. Um, whereas I think CrossFit's far more than that because it could be that if there wasn't such a good community within CrossFit. Yes. If it was like tennis probably has a great community. I don't know a huge amount about it, but I would I draw the conclusions on you could be quite an uh, introvert, keep, keep yourself on your own and then mm. go and be amazingly good at tennis. Yeah. I think in, in CrossFit, because you're doing the exercise in a CrossFit gym, mm -hmm. you have to have that element of... of like community yeah. and then the people that got right to the top like Matt Fraser when I can't do this in a CrossFit gym yeah I need it in my own gym mm -hmm. so then he brought himself away from that community environment and then focused it on a sport same kind of thing I know we have those conversations with David and Emma um, kind of training in a regular gym and mm -hmm. I know his training would be more optimal if he had his own thing and then if you see his house what he's got kind of rigged yeah. up there it's like it's true. Yeah. his living room is a Miko triangle mm-hmm it is. And I fucking love that. <laughs> like it wouldn't it wouldn't do anything for me, but like it'd just be in the way of the TV. But like his living room like is a game station. There's like a GHD in there and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it's it's definitely a matter of learning to relax and, and take things in your own stride and, and, and get in there whenever it gets there. Mm -hmm. Like you, there's no need for it to be rushed. Mm -hmm. Um I think that everything takes time and, and you get to those those things. I think something that a lot of people really struggle with is um, like if someone's improving faster than them and they're like, why am I not improving the same way, you know, that, that they are? And it's, there's a, a multitude of reasons. Like they might be sleeping, you know, yeah. nine hours a night, whereas you can only get six hours a night because you're yeah. having to wake up with your kids and, you know, just how they're built genetically is a little mm -hmm. bit different and, you know, the, the, there's so many factors that go into that and it's never helpful asking that question yeah. because you can't control that. What you should be focusing on is, am I doing everything that I can right now to, you know, make sure that I'm making the best improvements that I can? Mm. If you are, great. If you're not, like, can you do something about it? If not, again, don't worry about it. That comes down to goal setting and that comes down to goal setting correctly. And the, the incorrect way to do it is, um, I want to qualify for semi-final. Mm -hmm. Okay. How can you control that? Mm. 
Because if you want to qualify for semi-final, you can't control everybody else's performance. Yeah. And I think I learned this not from my own experiences of watching Ben. So Ben qualified uh, for that regionals 2014. Yeah. Come 11th. Yeah. Cool. I just got to do a bit more training and I'll come in the top five and go to the games. All right. Fast forward to the next year. I think he got injured or like got, got sick. Um, he probably could control that, but the focus for him was to try and improve. Yeah. But the, the field from a CrossFit perspective moves forward 10% every year. Cool. So if he needed to improve by 10% and then those people ahead of him already improved by 10%, that's 20%. <laughs> like all of a sudden are you going to improve 20% in the year when you start to then actually think about can you put 20% on your snatch in a year yeah. can you put 20% on your like seven minutes of burpees mm-hmm. like all of a sudden you're like actually I need to think about this intrinsically and then look at what it takes and and with JST athlete we created like the little matrix of what does it take to be a quarterfinal athlete mm-hmm. like the average numbers what it does it take to be a semi-final athlete mm-hmm. what does it take to be a games athlete they're the metrics that you try and shoot for. Yeah. Because you're in control of those. The person next to you might snatch more than you. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's irrelevant. If you hit those numbers, you've got to come away and go, the leaderboard is the leaderboard. If I executed to the best of my ability and I hit the numbers that I set out to do, I hit the goals that I set out to do, I've got to be happy with my performance. Then you get that reward, even though the reward isn't going to the competition. Mm -hmm. Because if yeah, would you would you be satisfied in qualifying for the semi final, but you did a shit job, and then everyone else just did a shitter job? Yeah, like I don't think people would be as satisfied. No. Like there'll be the odd person there that'd like to put that in their Instagram bio that I did semi finals, but actually, like we can all smell that bullshit. Like yeah. we actually see the people that work hard and that get there, and then you're like, they've worked hard for that. They're they're not posting their massive lifts on Instagram. They're just getting on with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like in terms of goal setting, going back to what I originally started with, it's like, don't have a competition in mind, have it there as a, like a carrot dangle. So when your training is fucking really hard, that's what gets you through the end of your session. But ultimately the goal is to like complete the individual tasks as best as you can. Yeah. You said the people that get better quicker than the other people are doing the important things better. Mm-hmm. They are, getting that sleep they are sacrificing night outs mm-hmm. they're they're doing all those little things that are going to add up to big things in the future they're doing their movement mechanics they're stretching their, all of that above mm-hmm. they're just doing it better than the other person taking Ben as a, as a bit of an example from what you said then and I don't know the exact uh, situation of like what his training was like or anything like that but obviously what he was working got him to, to regionals that, that first year and he was like right and he's trained more which is automatically what a lot of athletes think that they need to do to get to that next level. And probably for the, for the most point, isn't, isn't always a case for a lot of people because was the reason that Ben got injured and maybe was ill a bit more that next year? Was it because he was training that little bit more? Mm. Like, I don't know. I'm not saying that it was, um, but it, it could have been. Mm. It, maybe it, it's, and it's usually better to think, right, is everything outside of training on point first? Is my warm-up optimal? Like, I'm doing that movement mechanics before I'm going into the session. Mm. That's going to make me move better. I'm moving better. I'm going to be moving more efficiently. I'm going to be less fatigued in workouts. I can do more reps as well um, because I'm moving better. So it's, yeah, more isn't always better and don't always resort to that because 
for a lot of people, it's the easy answer. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Better is better and training with better people. Like, it's better. <laughs> that's, yeah, totally. Like, it is. Firstly, it's a humbling experience. It, it, makes you, it makes you very aware of, like, getting your ass kicked. Mm. It's, it's, it's something to be, be associated with. I think we, um, we spoke with Reggie about this. Like, there was a period where, obviously, Reggie was absolutely fucking smashing everyone yeah. at fitness. Yeah. And then you turn up to, like, a semi-final, mm. and then you're the person behind. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, how do you deal with that? If, yeah. you've, if, you've, never, if you've never experienced people in front of you... It's true. We, I, I genuinely... I reckon we had workouts with Ben where we used to start ahead of him mm. in training sessions. One was a funny story was by, not funny for us, but there was a workout and in the like 10 second countdown, like if you guys know Ben, he was like, oh, I need two seconds, I need to go to the loo. And he went, <laughs> he went and had a shit. He was like, start without me. Like five minutes go past, and we're in this workout. And then he comes out and then beats us by five minutes. <laughs> so he actually beat us by 10 minutes in a workout. But I think it was probably good motivation for him because yeah. he probably saw where we were mm. and was like, I'm going to keep going here, yeah. keep going. Yeah. And then he beat us and sat down. And I was just like, it was cool because I, don't, I'm, I wasn't going home and being really stressed about it. I mm-hmm. fucking hate losing. Don't get me wrong. I yeah. absolutely hate it. But I'm, again, aware of my like, ability level and the balance in my life that I have. That I was like, well, he's, that I think it was, in, it was just before he moved up right, okay. um, to you guys. Because yeah. he searched out two times the, the harder challenges. So he met. Matt, um, Matt Rodwell mm-hmm. and Rob Manlove in London mm-hmm. round 2014, 2016 does, does all his training kind of 50-50 winning and losing and then did went up and was like the opportunity to go go there and I remember when like when he first went up he, he doubted his ability yeah and I think that was probably a good thing mm-hmm. I think like probably in the moment he probably hated that because no one wants to be feeling like they're not good enough or yeah. insufficient when yeah. he was getting like spanked by members in 17.1 but then, like, obviously, you guys gave him the trust and gave him the opportunity. And then, obviously, clearly, he was fucking Better. good, good, good <laughs> at fitness, wasn't he? Um, so, yeah, like, going and searching out people that are better than you and going and get your ass kicked is probably a more valuable experience than winning the whiteboard at your 100%. gym. Yeah. And I, th- in my opinion, r- right now, we were doing the people at that semi-finals, regionals level were doing it a lot more a couple of years ago mm. than what they are now. Um, don't know what the reason for, for that is, really. Um, but I'd like to think we're trying to help to break down those barriers at regional events. Yeah. I know probably most of the athletes there aren't you know, semi-finals level, but it would be amazing to get more semi-finals level athletes to those events or, you know, in similar, uh, like either training camp situations where they do actually get together a a little bit more and, Mm. you know, raise the bar, raise the level. Um, Like we've got athletes coming to Wigan on a a regular basis, like next week, as an example, we've got Jemmy Orr coming down, Fraser Clark coming down. We've got a young girl, Connie, coming up. Obviously Ed Cook's kind Mm. of moved to Wigan, Phil Roy's in and around Wigan. And it's just, like you said, the big thing as well is environment. Um, And to be honest, environment is possibly or arguably the biggest thing as well. Because if you're in the right environment, then it's going to drag you in that direction. You're going to help, you know, build Mm. and sustain that momentum in that environment as well. Because 
I know for myself when we had the team together in 2017, I think that was the, probably the fittest and the strongest that I'd have ever been. And I just thrived off being in that environment because it was like, right, I'm not just doing this for myself. I'm doing it for all these other guys. I liked doing it in a group as well. It was just kind of, yeah, was mm -hmm. good. And maybe that's why I wasn't as good when, you know, I went individually. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of missed out on, on going to the games individually. Um, and I felt like after that year when we went team in 2017 and Steve wasn't kind of training as much. Obviously, everyone moved away. Um, like I found it pretty pretty hard after then. It, the kind of the focus switched from like it being about the team and, and getting better to be like I have to get to the games next year, mm. and that focus completely switched. And by the time I got to strength in depth, and I've spoken about this before, um, I was just felt really burnt out and I knew I'd not given anywhere near my best um so environment can, can yeah. really do some bits that environment like and it can manifest in lots of different ways I kind of with if I think back to rugby the two the two major environments that well the two big head coaches that were in, the, in for the first team first one was a guy called Tony Ray Aussie guy um his nephews uh, Rowan Smith is his nephew I'm pretty sure now um who's the was the leads coach or is the leads coach <laughs> and um he was a very relaxed aussie guy mm -hmm. like perf absolutely perfect for like a 16 to 18 year old kid the environment was like go and try it like i was a goal kicker yeah. and um used to go turn up to training early and they'd be like go and grab a bag of balls go and go and bang a load of kicks oh yeah love that like all day yeah like the encouragement was there and then that kind of paved the inquisitive nature of it and then he moved on and then we had Brian McDermott so Brian McDermott was the total opposite yeah, right, of Tony okay. Ray ex ex army marine yeah. like fighter boxer um, very like ex Leeds legend mm. um, come down and was like he's full on mm -hmm. and he pulled everything in line and he was like oh, there was no bullshit there yeah. there was no like minute late for the meeting if you if you're not 10 minutes early you're you're five minutes late kind of thing yeah and it was like it took a, a proper adjustment certainly the the aussies and the kiwis just really struggled yeah like they just they couldn't get their head behind like how militant it was yeah because that was his background but then it it shaped and it paved a different way of doing it and it got similar results mm -hmm. so interesting those those environments like it, it's about how you cultivate it and, and how you you integrate yourself into it but yeah. ultimately the end goal is the same mm -hmm. i think uh that that segues nicely into a little bit more about the coaching side of things again coming back to that because you want to as a coach you want to try stuff and even if it doesn't go right, you want the support of, you know, either the gym owner or the other coaches to be like, look, that was fine. It, we know it didn't work. Like you're not being, you know, scolded or anything like that. Um, you want to be picked up and it's like, right, we know that didn't work. Next time, let's, let's maybe not do that or mm. try something else. But also it's good to have that bit of discipline in the other sense where it's like, it's good to have a bit of structure sometimes and that organisation, that military kind of approach. It's a balance of the both is probably... Yeah, it's knowing how far to take it. I think yes. that's the one thing I learned from the two is like, try the, try the idea and then it's like, 
don't keep knocking on the door if it's going to like get diminishing returns it's yeah. like look, look to cut it short and just like leave it mm-hmm. like okay that just didn't work like if we think back to the the blitz two-person coach thing from a business perspective it just didn't make sense because you're paying two coaches the same amount of, of money you get one coach who was leading it and the other person was demoing it had like some positives in terms of group management but then it was like actually what are members getting out of this mm. like the it's like okay we tried it we tried it tried it. actually we need to change it we need to and yeah. it was a uh, members and like you're not gonna happy make every member happy when you're doing that they were like oh, i love that big group environment like yeah cool but from a logistics point of view it just wasn't yeah, yeah. like if you just couldn't have two coaches all the time but you want to go on holiday <laughs> like you needed twice yeah. as many coaches yeah, yeah, yeah. and then yeah. you just couldn't do it yeah um so yeah like learning learning when to curb it and then learning when to like push it on is a again a skill in itself and you don't get it right and you shouldn't like aim to try and get it right mm-hmm. you should just aim to do it mm-hmm. and give it a crack and then if it works it works like the regionals thing is is like how it was born was like and now how it is now is like it's still very similar but it's evolved massively yeah. Yeah. and it's much more we realize now it's, it's so much about just participation mm-hmm. it's about trying to get people potentially on other programs or like just people doing crossfit understanding like it is not about signing up to the program like, mm-hmm. i always say that at the start i'm like guys you're not getting a code at the end of this for jst after <laughs> like you're not like we're helping facilitate an event for people to practice mm-hmm. fitness racing yes like and they're like oh okay like we had tom who comes from cm2 one of their coaches he was on the red pill thing like mm-hmm. educated himself well become a, a, a serious athlete now like good. got himself pretty good and he's on red pill and he did it and he's like, I absolutely love that. Like, I'm going to be coming around and searching out like those because it's only going to create his level and his baseline higher. Mm-hmm. Like he's probably at CM2, which I'd say are fairly competitive, but that's because Rob is very competitive. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's probably absolutely destroying everybody. Yeah. Whereas that day he was getting pushed a lot yes. and people were like challenging him and mm-hmm. he's like, oh, maybe... Maybe I need to search out those opportunities a bit more yeah. um, to try and get get yourself there because that's that's what I love regionals. It's so much fun. Downside is like Scotland are winning. Isn't it? <laughs> um, maybe if we combine all the UK scores, <laughs> mm. oh, sorry, UK England scores. It's England versus the world because I guarantee they all they want to see is like Scotland and Wales above us. That's all that they those guys want to see. Um, well, we've been speaking for over two hours there. I know. Um, we covered a load of good stuff. Just to kind of leave this conversation for you, like within our kind of community and maybe more as a coach, what are the your three kind of really important values to you that you think are like important for the people around you to, mm. to kind of take on board and... And be the f- I think the first thing is to be honest yeah not only with yourself but with others mm-hmm. um, honest with yourself with is your performance good enough in whatever you do that's not exercise based that's like was, is your, are you performing as well as you can because it doesn't matter what other people think if you're giving it your best shot well done yeah like, it doesn't matter like performance sometimes is is not good enough like yeah. if I gave it my best shot at rugby that's probably what I regret a little bit I'd probably do a bit more fitness mm-hmm. and then probably be able to say if I wasn't good enough I wasn't good enough yeah um another thing would be be prepared okay be prepared not necessarily like prepared for every situation Mm -hmm. but be prepared to deal with situations yeah i.e. something shit's going down like are you prepared 
to make a decision based off of that. Mm -hmm. um, because again, it isn't linear, is it? Everything's all over the place. Like, yeah. I'm going home in a bit. I really hope there's no hole in my <laughs> ceiling. But I can't dabble on that. Like, I've just got to be like, eh, okay, it is what it is. When I get there, I'll deal with it. I'm pretty sure it's not because I'll have had a phone call. <laughs> um, and then the third thing, I think, go for it. Like, fuck me, far too often, I, what I don't want to do is, I've probably done it with the rugby thing, is like, what, what, what could have been? Yeah. Like, I didn't go all in. I was quite good at rugby, but I didn't go all in. I could have like not gone out on the piss as much. Mm -hmm. um, could have like got more sleep, like that kind of stuff, but I didn't. And I don't have a regret for that too much. I'd be more like, right, if you're going to give this a crack, like that's why I went all in on CrossFit and yeah. the coaching side of it. it. So I was like, no, I know I can do it. So yeah, go for it. Yeah, amazing. That was, yeah, about two hours has flown by. So thank you very much for your time. And Thanks, Jack. I'll have to... Uh, probably do this again a little bit more often maybe yeah yeah definitely <laughs> definitely um maybe maybe the talks about certain situations in crossfit i think there's definitely uh between us we know a lot about a lot yeah um so it's nice know. actually and this is why we do you know the stuff that we are like trying to get in front of more gyms and people just to try and share that knowledge and hopefully mm. help help people because that's where we align pretty well is we want to help people and yeah you know yeah. with this within like our crossfit we know it can do so many different things like mm -hmm. get people healthy mentally you know help people create a great social space you know it's a great sport um yeah yeah, getting people to understand that they don't know anything like that great analogy is like when you first start you know nothing yeah and then there's a period of time where you think you know everything, everything. and i've had that yeah i thought i know everything i'm nailing this and then it's like when, if you come out the backside and then realize you know nothing yes you are going to be a person that people want yeah you're going to be there you're going to be like you're at their level mm -hmm. um, as opposed to thinking you're up there but actually people know that you're down there yeah thanks mate that was no great worries. thank you joe I hope you enjoyed that very long conversation between Jamie and myself. I really enjoyed it. Hopefully you picked up plenty from it uh, as well and enjoyed it. Um, if you managed to make it to the end, fair play. Um, you deserve a prize. In actual fact, if you quote the code uh, JBostonBangers, you automatically get an invite to come and train with us at High Performance CrossFit. So if you message me with the with the um, phrase J Boston Bangers, um, yeah, we'll uh, extend an invite to you to come and train at High Performance CrossFit. Um, other things, uh, we've got a couple of exciting events to round off the year. We have on the 29th of October, our third regional event of this season. If you are unsure where your nearest regional event is, drop us a message or head to Circle. Um, and you can also RSVP for the event on Circle. You don't need to RSVP, but it's super helpful in just giving us an idea as to how many people to expect to the event and then can obviously manage, manage that accordingly. Uh, the final region, regional event of this season is on the 3rd of December and that's the, the final one of this second season of regional events. Um, 
We have also put a strength and depth team together. Um, we will be announcing the team shortly uh, to the world, but it's it's deep. It's deep. You look at the athletes in it, and phew, it get it gets your juices going. Um, so really excited to um, be announcing that soon as well. Look out for further seminar dates um, or as putting posts out there to see if you would like to host one um, next month uh, we will be hosting the Royal Air Force um, and their coaches and also we will be doing a training camp for the sappers the Royal Engineers uh, so really excited to be helping helping those guys out as well, um, yeah, and helping you know the people that the people that protect us. Um, so that's really exciting. But if you would like to host one at your gym, it could be an athlete training camp. It could be a master the basics one, uh, which is more for kind of the everyday member. Feel free to drop me a message uh, or email us on enquiries at gstcompete.com. Um, so yeah, other things, other things, other things. I think that's it for now. Um, we will be keeping you in the loop with any more details um, of stuff that we've got going on. But in the meantime, keep training hard and we'll catch you in a couple of weeks for the next one, which I have already recorded as well.